Around the NFL Podcast is having a mojo moment. Oh, we're having a moment, all right. Yeah. It's playoff fever. On the Around the NFL Podcast, welcome to the show, the flagship program. The regular season is in the books. Dan Hans is here with Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Boys, the playoffs are set, and we are in the afterglow of one of the wildest Sunday night football games I can ever remember, a true classic that we're going to get into in just minutes between uh, the Chargers and the playoff-bound Raiders. Can you believe it? How's everybody doing? Woo! I don't know. I don't know what else to talk about other than that, that game since it, it just ended. But uh, I did notice how there was some like some um, haters kind of coming out about Week 18. They're like, oh, Week 18's coming. They've just served us like the Eagles' backups here on, on Saturday night, as if that didn't happen in every Week 17 anyways. Uh, but this Week 18 Sunday delivered, I mean, in a, in a way that I could not have possibly foreseen. Well, there were like a string of epic performances and epic games today, and um, I mean— that Sunday night game, which I believe was roughly five and a half hours long, that contest, um, <laughs> totally delivered. I, and honestly, it made me, and we'll get into it, but it made me think for just a minute of Wes's incredible speech about the meaningless of sports and trying to find meaning in it and, and reconciling that. And it's just something about the way this regular season, which has been an up and down affair, ended in the most improbable, insane game. Um, I, I, it was like gripping. It was gripping. It was football at its best. So uh, no cynicism for me on the fact that it also was about five and a half hours long. I like was wa- walking around my garage. But a little bit. <laughs> no, obviously, it was, a great, it was a great game, and there were a couple other games we'll get well, to today that were insane. Also, you felt that lock slipping through your fingers. I'm sure you were struggling with that a little bit. You did get it done kept your season alive with the Raiders. Yes. Uh, I'm sure as a 15-point fourth quarter lead disappeared, that, that garage, there was some walls that were in danger and some controls and some some texts that we got and seemed like the anger was building. But it looks it all worked out. Well, I mean, you, but, you know, c- counter to that, as you could feel the Chargers coming back and inching closer to the potential world of a tie – that would have caused utter chaos in Pittsburgh. So, you know, there were a lot of little mini victories um, at, that were possible here, little mini victories on the, on the front. All right, let's dig into it um, real quick. Saturday, it's going to be Raiders, Bengals, 4.30 Eastern on NBC. Then, oh, we knew it was coming. It was inevitable. Patriots-Bills rematch Saturday night game on CBS. Sunday, eagles Bucks at 1 p.m. Eastern, and then Niners, Cowboys, 4.30 Eastern on CBS Sunday. The Steelers, who are somehow in the playoffs, uh, <laughs> they get the Chiefs on Sunday night football, and then first ever, unless Greg can tell me it happened in 1993, a Monday wild card playoff game, Cardinals, Rams from SoFi. Whoa, should we go to that game? All right, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. How about, how about West of Us um, <laughs> coming back? The first Saturday afternoon game is in Cincinnati. But you know what? It's not It's not the Red Rocket starting this one. It's Joe no. Burrow. I was no, going to say. Is, well, this is like West of Us for adults. Well, we've been getting, <laughs> yeah, we've been getting a lot of West of Us type tweets, but this is not the West of Us that Wes used to talk about. No. Because West of Us wasn't the Bengals just entering the playoffs 
and getting ready for the game. West of us was a celebration of their one and done uh, that everyone mm. saw coming. And it was always celebrated as the early kickoff game on Saturday. Now it is still the early kickoff game, but this feels different. No, West they, would have said the same. They're heavy favorites. Hopefully they get it done. I can't believe uh, no Colts, no Chargers. We got the Raiders <laughs> and the Steelers. Let's get Unreal. to it. All right, let's uh, dig in, starting with, yes, an instant classic from Vegas. Oh, Sunday night. Two seconds on the clock, and Daniel Carlson is on to put a little frosting on the cake. A little 47-yarder. Jackpot, baby! Let's go to Cincinnati! Yeah, baby! Brent Musburger with the goal. Brent Musburger is like 140 years old. That man was fully alive with that call. Daniel Carlson capped a wonderful night for the kicker. He has got his own booth in the kicker club tonight with his fifth field goal. The difference in a 35-32 overtime win for the Raiders over the Chargers. Who, and I know people are going to say, oh, the Chargers going to charge her, and they did it again, they blew it. And yes, in a way they did, because I thought they were the better team. This set up well for them to advance. Uh, But the fight they showed with those 15 unanswered points in the fourth quarter, that is something I'll remember, including that drive at the end of regulation. Anyway, Raiders advance, as I said. They move on. But this is a game that has so many levels and... uh, aspects to it, Greg. What what kind of jumped out to you the most when you kind of reflect upon it about 45 minutes after the kick went through the uprights? Well, I, I think let's hit the, the timeout at the end of the game first, just because I feel like because it's the last thing that ends up dominating the conversation. Obviously, you mentioned like the Herbert performance in the comeback and some of those throws were, are like that was more exciting to me. But the fact that Brandon Staley took a timeout on third and four with, what was it, 38 seconds left, to me was kind of like a nothing burger. And I think this is a, a case where, like, the announcers of the game, Al and Chris, were, were getting so excited about the tie. Twitter's getting so excited about the tie that they, like, led everyone in this weird wrong direction that was in some way saying, like, the Raiders were laying down at that moment. The Raiders ran for seven yards on the previous play. And the Raiders, at that point, were not going to throw the ball again. That that was obvious. They were going to run the ball, and if they got close enough, you know, they presumably would kick a field goal to try to win it. When Staley called that timeout, he took two lightweight guys off the field that were struggling in run defense, and he put his run defense, uh, you know, two guys who are better in run defense on the field because he just gave up seven yards. This is a terrible run defense. It's been the story of this Chargers defensive season. Like, the fact that they lost and the fourth downs and timeouts like distract from the fact that he is a defensive coach and his defense stunk in in a big spot like that when basically I think the Raiders would have been okay going to uh, a tie because they were, they were just going to run it kind of like our guy, Sean McVay did at the end of the game. And if it didn't work, then they either punt or, or they kick a long field goal. Staley wants to get a better guys out on the field and they still couldn't stop it. They knew the run was coming. Josh Jacobs, who was great in this game, picks up 10 yards and they kicked the game winning field goal. And they made this big deal about the timeout. And that to me was just, it was strange. It was like acting like the Raiders were not trying in that situation. What they were trying to do was just run the ball. And they showed on that drive like they were going to be able to do it and do it well. And this Chargers defense like let them down one final time. 
Well, Derek Carr said after the game that they, you know, their intention was to win. Um, and it, you know, I kind of don't really care what anyone says, but do you think that it, it, there's a different level of urgency if a tie would have led to both of them making the playoffs? That the Raiders aren't pushing that hard to get a field goal if the timeout exactly, doesn't which is occur right, there. Which is- but they're running the ball. What, what what changes? Either way, they're running the ball. I think the game was different because of the tie situation, in the sense that the Raiders didn't have a huge motivation to throw there. And I so guess I'm asking you this, Greg. Like, let's but let's like, say wh- that what would have changed? Let's say that 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 Staley does not call the timeout. Mm-hmm. The Raiders continue to run the ball. Time expires. Both teams make the playoffs. Do you think that? Do you don't think that would have been? A possibility there i do i just think but the, wait they would but what i'm saying is they would have run the ball and in, in either i i don't know what would have happened there but let's say they run the same play and it gains 10 yards they then they kick a field goal either way the point and staley said it after the game was he was just trying to stop the run to make it as long a, a field goal as possible he called the timeout not like early and, and the timing of it is what gives it away that he obviously was just doing that he didn't call it with 40 seconds left on the play clock. He called it with four seconds left. You know, he wasn't trying to save time necessarily. He was just trying to like stop them from running. And he looked and he saw a formation that he, that he didn't like and they so, couldn't stop the run. I, I agree with you. And yeah, and Staley said after the game, yeah, that was, there was no, there was no other um, explanation other than what you're saying, Greg, he just wanted to have a better defensive stop unit on the field. It, it, for because he just saw them gave up seven yards, like on a play where and like right, they right, should not be it, giving right. up seven yards. And that's what it comes down to. I think, which is this game probably ends in a tie. And that poor dude, the Steelers fan at yeah. the stadium, <laughs> he is, he's like dead in the middle of the aisle right now. If <laughs> all they have to do is stop the run there. And right, I think exactly. the Raiders are going to play that very conservative and they're going to make it look like they tried, but hey, you know, that it is what it is. And I think it would have been a massive story if the Raiders just ran the clock out without kneeling. And I think it could have happened if the Chargers could have just gotten a stop. But, you know, I think it, it didn't work out that way. And Carlson made the kick. And I think it was the best for everyone involved, ultimately, not the Chargers, obviously, but in, in the best interest of football. I don't think a, a tie where nobody was really trying at the end would have been a great way for the season to end. I, I like the way it ended. And. Um, I thought I thought Derek Carr, who did not have a very good game overall, made that huge money throw that set up those final runs that led to the uh, game winning field goal. So he gets a little measure of revenge against Joey Bosa and the Chargers. Bosa, who's trashed him um, in the past for not being a money clutch player. And maybe he wasn't in this game, but he delivered that big throw when necessary. And I I have to say in all my years, like watching football, certainly in my years, doing this podcast with you guys. I, I I can't remember another drive like the Chargers game-tying drive in the fourth quarter. 19 plays, 19 plays, 83 yards, the touchdown at the gun. Um, it covered about two minutes and five seconds about of game time, but about 20 minutes of real time. It featured a conversion of fourth and 10, fourth and 10, third and 10, fourth and 10, and then the touchdown when they had one shot at the end zone or uh, and they and they stuck it in there. Herbert making big throw after big throw after big throw. I'll never forget that drive. And that's why, like, the Chargers fans that have been ride or die with that team, no matter what city they play in, are hurting again tonight. But, man, they didn't – it looked like about midway through the fourth quarter that it was a classic Chargers going to charge or meltdown. But what they showed in this game was how it is different. And they're not there yet. But with that dude, anything is possible. So I think 
it's a bittersweet um, night for Chargers fans who once again you're reminded how special that guy is behind center and a credit to the whole team because I think Collinsworth nailed it. Those guys were gassed and I think they caught some breaks with some timeouts and some stoppages that even gave them a chance to get into the end zone there because they had nothing left and they weren't even to midfield yet. Um, but that took some real guts, that drive. That, so I have a lot of respect for the Chargers and what they did tonight. And the drive before was 14 plays. Like they were absolutely winded by the time that thing ended. And it's I think it's just one of those games that the complexion of it shifted so many times and you come out thinking like you can make a bunch of mistakes and errors and get in your own way. But when you have Justin Herbert, anything is possible And the tie felt or the, the going into overtime felt inevitable once they got going that way. But I mean, I do think if you're a Chargers fan, you look back on a lot of little what if moments like the Andre Roberts botched punt return that just basically set the Raiders up for a quick score you know, when they, the, the, I'm not disagreeing with this call again. We've discussed this issue a thousand times, but they are stuffed on fourth and one from their own 18 yard line in call. the third quarter. My God. I, I mean, the thing is, it's just like that's that's who they are. That's their philosophy. I mean, Justin Herbert. Is it even ha- though? Yes, fourth and it is one because inside your own 20 in a game that your season's on the line. That I, I'm the last like math nerd person out there, that. but like it, like there were tweets showing that like, over and over, the suggestion was you go for it. I think from a just like a human angle, it's like that. It didn't. It did. It kind of. It, it it was a pivotal because it's not showing a lot of respect to the Raiders' offense. the The play call did not work out. I mean, it just it's one of those things you look back on. But that's who the Chargers are, and Brandon Staley said that all season long. Like this is what we do. But they're not a good interior running team, and they they weren't on that play. And like Darius Phylon, who who got carded for the Raiders, made a great play on that play. So. You got to think about like the strength of your team. I don't mind going for it there. They ended up going six or seven on fourth down, but a lot of those uh, were in that late desperation mode. There was also a fourth and longs. Right. And well, one of them was fourth and two early that that added seven points to the to the uh, score. They would have, you know, they would if they kicked the field goal there, that kind of evens out. But it's not just like Herbert hitting those throws. It's like the quality of those throws were outrageous. The touchdown to tie it at the buzzer at the last game of regulation was one of the best throws of Justin Herbert's life. He he's you know going to his he's going to his left and he throws it down in a way when Mike Williams is getting double covered bracketed in man coverage like that's impossible. Like that hey, was an we, unreal throw. <laughs> Ricky, can we hear cuz I really um uh, my buddy Matt Money Smith um our friend the voice of uh uh, God for the ATN podcast. Uh, I have to heal, hear his call of the uh, touchdown at the end of regulation. It's the only time we're going to hear money uh, until next <laughs> September in terms of calls. Uh, but this one, uh, I'm sure, was worth it. Herbert in the shotgun. Here is the season. They rush for. Here comes Max Crosby. Herbert to the end zone. Caught touchdown. Chargers. <laughs> Mike Williams. DJ, I don't believe what we have witnessed. <laughs> Laugh or cry, buddy. Laugh or cry. We are tied at 29. What a treat for NFL fans everywhere. No, except for one. Um, <laughs> Mike Williams, by the way, kudos. He's one of those guys that was tough as nails and, you know, just running those go routes, going up and down the field. Uh, he's going to sleep for three days. Uh, nearly made three one-handed catches 
including one that preceded the game-tying field goal in overtime. If he comes down with any of these balls, it's a different game. But then you could say on the other side, between Derek Carr's um, accuracy issues on downfield shots and some drops on their side of the ball, uh, it could have been a very different game. So, man, it was a, it was just a hell of a game. I'll never forget it. Yeah, I think like Max Crosby won this game as much as like a defensive end could because I I think just how many points the Chargers would have put up if Crosby wasn't you know, just destroying. He by the way he entered the fourth quarter according to Next Gen stats like eight pressures behind the season lead uh, of pressures. I forget who it was that was in front of him and he had nine in that quarter. So he ended up like w- wow. winning that. It was just like outrageous. The the third and one last like little point was like and this goes back to the Chargers run defense. So it's kind of a full circle thing. The the key play in the game, I thought before those last couple drives it was the third and 23 run that Jalen Richard had at the end of the first half. The, the Chargers are winning by four there and we're going to get the ball back with over a minute to go and put up more points. And that ends up being like at least the seven point swing. The Raiders go down and score a touchdown because the Chargers can't stop a, a rushing play on third and 23. That really changed the game. And uh, that that was like during a little segment where the Chargers had one first down in five drives. So it's like every every aspect of both of these teams played a part in this game. And yeah, and, and that was, was awesome. the longest third down run to get a first down of the entire year by any team. And so it came at the perfect moment <laughs> for Jalen Rashard and the Raiders. I mean, remember it was the game was over at twenty nine fifteen too until they overturned. Uh, the the fourth and sixth spot uh, at you know to give the Chargers the play it was that moment where I thought oh maybe the Chargers will win this thing and then uh, no and let's close this game out by giving credit where credits due to Rich Basaccia to Derek Carr to Josh Jacobs to Zay Jones that whole team that defense the offensive line they finished ten and seven this year and when they lost forty eight nine. At Kansas City, they just seemed like they were done for. And then, I, and I'll, I'll own up to it. I, I wrote them off multiple times, including a couple days ago. They uh, were your they, ride or die team back in like some week four episode. I don't know if you remember this episode yeah, where we were. each picked well, a team. So, so I, I guess in the it. end, you were, you were right. Yeah, <laughs> I nailed it. I like, I like playing it this way. But like, uh, they edged by the Browns. They edged by the Broncos. They stunned the Colts in Indy, and then play great football and win this game. So it's it's all house money now for the Raiders. And I know they're going to be a heavy underdog um, next week, but it doesn't matter. This Considering everything that this team went through this year uh, between Gruden and Ruggs uh, and having an interim coach just dropped into out of nowhere uh, to be able to go on this run in December and January, congratulations to the Raiders and those fans. And big year, big year. Uh, for Vegas football. All right. And, and one little thing, like, I think, you know, our overall impression of Derek Carr, the football community's overall impression, has changed as he incrementally gets hotter and hotter with each passing week. Why is he looking more attractive to me than at any previous time in his career? Wow. Oh, yeah. that's, the, that's how we're buttoning up that game, I see. Maybe not the final note we were looking for, but I just think that he's kind of feeling, you know, he's in a zone, he's feeling the calm. No wonder Mark's not cynical. He's... uh. He's going to be rewatching that Raiders, you know, post game interview a little later and get comfortable. Ah! Real comfortable. <laughs> all right. Let us now move on uh, through the rest of the AFC. So we're going to hit all the AFC games and then we're going to move to the NFC. 
All right, let's move now to the biggest upset of the day. Oh, man, come on, Colts. Fourth and goal for the Colts. Jacksonville leads this game 23-3. They hand it to Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. He didn't do it. He did not get there. The Jags have stuffed him again at the one-yard line. Oh, the Bongos go to the Jaguars. Who, a little teaser, move out of the basement of the power rankings. The G-Men will take their place to end the season. <laughs> Frank Frangie with the call, W-O-K-V. Trevor Lawrence capped his best game as a pro with a beautiful recovery and TD pass. And the Jacksonville defense made that big goal line stop to basically lock it up. The Colts gagged their way to infamy on Sunday, blowing their chance at the playoffs in a stunning 26-11 loss to the Jaguars at the big chlorine tank. NFL rushing champion Jonathan Taylor held to 77 yards. Carson Wentz turned the ball over twice, leading to 10 points. And Indy faltered in all phases to the 3-14 and 14 Jags. Greg, this was an outcome that can change the course of the entire organization in Indianapolis. It is just hard to believe. Because it wasn't like one of those games where it's just... Oh, I can't believe he made that play, or I can't believe they made that call, or even just, I don't even think you can just say, or, I, you know, Carson Wentz is a bum. Like, I get it. There was a segment when I'm sure Red Zone was all over this game in the third quarter where Carson Wentz um, did not rise to the moment. But at that point, they were already down by two touchdowns, and Carson Wentz hadn't been that involved in that game in a negative way. The The Jaguars just, like, looked better and you mentioned Trevor Lawrence playing his best game he played a perfect first half they kind of took the ball out of his hands in the second half but when they needed just one play out of him he made it that that scramble to in throwing it up high to Marvin Jones who had an awesome play uh was just a reminder of like how talented Lawrence is and his teammates let him down a few times today. They could have won this game by about 30. I was sit- yeah. when I was watching this game, I was thinking, "Oh my god, are they going to blow this cuz they should be winning by about 25 or 30, but they didn't uh their defensive line, offensive line, everyone just freaking Yeah, LaVisca Can we can we catch right. the ball? LaVisca <laughs> right. Can we catch can we catch the ball? That I'm totally with you, Greg. This was there was nothing fluky about the outcome. The Jaguars kicked the Colts' butt in this game. And that's why, Mark, Frank Reich after the game. Do we have that, Ricky, uh, Reich after the game? Never expect to be sitting here, you know, having this having this moment right now, not like this. You know, we had a good week of practice. We had good preparation all week long. Um, felt good energy the whole week, every day, every meeting. Um, felt like we had three good plans. Felt like the players were dialed in. And, um, and and we just didn't get it done today. You know, we just didn't get it done, coaching or playing. I mean, Reich, Mark, he looks stunned because there's no way you could have predicted an egg at this magnitude. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a top five Colts loss of all time. I mean, I really do. And I mean, I know it wasn't in the playoffs per se, but it was a total collapse. And maybe there were hints of it when they fell to the Raiders the way they did, although we think a little differently about the Raiders right now. But... You know, I don't I didn't put anything into the fact that they hadn't won in Jacksonville since 2014, but it was an utter no show. And I think it raised it's like when you think about the Colts in general, they had they had dominated 
in back-to-back wins over the Patriots and Cardinals. They seemed like one of the more sure things in the AFC, but it did hedge around the fact that you needed Jonathan Taylor to be operating at MVP levels. You needed Carson Wentz to keep the mistakes down. And today you got the worst version of those two scenarios. And and I, I'm just stunned by how dominant Jacksonville was. It makes me think when they beat up the Bills that one week. But that just felt like such an aberration because the offense in Jacksonville had been so bad. But you got Trevor Lawrence's best game at the perfect moment for them, and they still come out with the number one overall pick. Well, the co- oh, yes, because the Lions loss, uh, the Lions upset one of the Packers keeps the Jags at number one. So it's it's literally it's a perfect day uh, for the Jaguars in every way. It is, and it was the offensive line for the Colts. I think more than anything that killed them. Like they. They couldn't push him in the running game. There was a couple short yardage situations they couldn't get early. You heard the fourth down call. Uh, and Eric Fisher was just getting destroyed. Some, sometimes the game's about matchups. And Josh Allen terrorized Eric Fisher in this first matchup where they could not get anything done uh, throwing the ball either. And their offense was pretty bad that day too. And Josh Allen just destroyed Eric Fisher, who was coming off an injury today uh, and it almost just short circuited the entire offense. Like when that happens and it's like a chargers game and storm Norton getting dominated, like Justin Herbert can overcome that somehow Uh, when it's the Colts, like Carson Wentz is not overcoming that. And the the Colts committed the Cardinal sin of any type of team in this situation late in the season, when you need it, when the other team's ready to go home uh, for the winter, you let you get off to a little bit of a slow start and you give the Jags a reason to, you know, start to rally around each other and start to get pumped up and get the crowd involved. And by the end of the first quarter, you knew this was going to be a game. It was almost like shades of like I showed um, the boys. um, We got the Nintendo classic, as I told you, which is just going off in the house right now. And they've been playing Mike Tyson's punch out uh, that classic game. So I, I showed him like a clip of Mike Tyson's you know, all of his knockouts and gave him uh, on YouTube and gave him the rundown. And then right when they thought this was literally the most dangerous, baddest man alive, no one's been better. I was like, now watch this. And I showed him the Buster Douglas fight and they watched it like I felt like I was watching the Tokyo Dome event live in my Uncle Bob's house in 1990. Like they were stunned. It's kind of like that, like where. But Mike Tyson let Buster Douglas start to believe, and then that was it. And I think that's what happened with the Colts here. And I just don't know what it – because Carson Wentz, obviously, it washes away everything this season. It really does. It's that devastating. And it really – anybody that doubted Carson Wentz now says, see, I was right all along, and you kind of were. But I think it's very important what you pointed out, Greg, which is Carson Wentz didn't step up in this game. But neither did anybody else on the team, not the offensive line, not the playmakers, not even the defense with Darius Leonard, who had a huge personal foul late in the game. It just was like this weird everyone falls off. And then it's like, who, who does that go back to? Frank Reich has to take heat, too. This team was not ready, and it, we saw it. Yeah, I think organizationally, you, it's, it's everyone. It's the whole thing. And then ultimately, you look back on the Carson Wentz trade with the Eagles, and someone tweeted this out that... The, the Colts get Carson Wentz. <clears throat> the Eagles get a top 20 pick, a third round pick, 103 million in cap relief. The Eagles made the playoffs. The Colts are going home. Right. I mean, Wentz <laughs> is under contract for a couple of years. I, I just don't think he's going anywhere. And, you know, of, of course, I guess it shouldn't need to be said. I don't think Frank Reich or 
Chris Ballard going anywhere. So I don't, I don't think it's like something that changes their organization necessarily. It's just like an ultimate wet, like wet fart, how this, how this uh, season ended. And the, the thing with Wentz is, yeah, he wasn't the reason they, they fell behind. Like Trevor Lawrence was great on third downs in the first drive. It really set the tone. Like he made great plays to keep that drive going. They had a long touchdown drive, but when they're trailing by two touchdowns, in the third quarter. And that was like the moment you needed a franchise quarterback. He had one of his worst quarters of the year. Like he just started short circuiting and had that, had that quarter. And then it was just like, Shh. and he had the damn, look this like, and damn, this is our quarterback here that we need right, right now. And he, it was just, yeah. as it's becoming the biggest story in the NFL and everyone's eyes are on the games and, and CBS wisely is cutting repeatedly to the sideline and you see Wentz. And it's like, that does not look like a leader of men that's about to save the day. And he wasn't. So it wasn't all on him, but he certainly played a, a big role in their collapse, losing back-to-back games, missing the playoffs entirely. And like we talked about at the top of the show, um, you needed this. This changed everything. This pumped life into Week 18. That's uh, true. We needed either Jacksonville or Houston to do something crazy. Jacksonville did it, and it opened a door for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's take a break, and then we'll hit that game. All right, here it is. In overtime to try to win it. A 36-yard effort for the magic of Boz. The ball is down. The kick is on its way. That kick is up. That kick is good. And the Pittsburgh Steelers have defeated the Baltimore Ravens. And the Steelers are headed for playoff land. (laughs) Wow. Bill Hillgrove almost spoke too soon there. (laughs) Right. Lucky Daniel Carlson hit that kick. (laughs) Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers aren't dead. They're undead. The zombie Steelers are improbably, impossibly even, alive after a 16-13 win over the Ravens in Baltimore. That win, combined with the Colts' stunning loss to the Jags and the game on Sunday night not ending in a tie allows the Roethlisberger-led Steelers to enter the playoffs for the, I don't know, I meant to look this up, I'm going to say 100th time in his Hall of Fame career. It's probably closer to, like, 10, 12? Yes, it's probably closer to 10. Greg, the the stats research department is on it, buddy. All right, thanks, buddy. Greg, the, uh, the rest of the AFC had a month to deliver the headshot to kill the walking dead out of western Pennsylvania. They could not do it. I think this is the 14th uh, playoff trip. Might be 13 if I That's counted ridiculous. wrong there. That is just uh, outrageous. I can't believe this team got to 9-7-1. and one. They ruined Mark's 8-8-1 eight, eight first of all. Sorry, dude. No, um, guess what? It's not going to happen now until 2046. So sorry to everyone. <laughs> they ruined that. They like This was just such a 2021 season Steelers game. Ben could have thrown four interceptions. He was rough, but Tyler, Tyler Huntley made He's the big. mistake, especially in the red zone, you know, late in that game when they're up four to throw that interception. Brutal mistake. Where he just forced it in, in a field goal there really felt like it's probably going to be enough. Um, it was brutal. And, uh, man, it was – I just uh, – I'm impressed. T.J. Watt not only sets the sack, rec- sack record – 
he does it in a huge spot, like in a second and goal situation where you end up stopping the Ravens from uh, scoring a touchdown. Like that's that's the way you want to do it. He tied the record with Michael Strahan now, so that is now they're together in the record books. Uh, he had a uh, sack immediately as the game began on a strip sack, and then they changed it and just ruled it a, a forced fumble. Otherwise, the record would be his. But I'm glad it worked out the way it did. And now we just need somebody else. Maybe it will be TJ Watt himself to break it outright. But now Strahan has to share the record, and I like it. It's a start. Would have been nice because that was pretty early in the game. That was the second quarter. Would have been right. nice for him to set it. But that that was the thing about Watt and why he'll probably win Defensive Player of the Year. The, the next play after that, he made a great tipped uh, pass to like you know break up a, a pass from Huntley too. He was all over the place. The rate, the offense in this game was was pretty rough. I was watching this just thinking, man, I don't want to see either one of these teams in the playoffs. You know, you know what was not told that that initial sack was taken away. He thought oh. he had it. And then he had a later one where he and Cam Hayward combined on a half sack and that was taken away cuz Cam Hayward had a hit to the head. So you know, Whoa. It, it razor's Ooh. edge, but they, but they, Watt was not informed. I thought that was a little bit tough. Um, I, I can't help but leave this season just thinking about the Ravens and how well coached they were, how many dark corners they got out of to get to this point. It's such a season of what ifs, but it make it leaves me with with um, more respect for that organization as my yep. voice continues to disappear here. I, I, I mean, the Ravens they ended the season what on a six game losing streak. They went, they were eight and three, and they finished. Eight and nine. Of course, a lot of that goes back to injuries, and they and just five of those were on the last play. I mean, right. that's the they, thing. Five they were decimated, things. and then lost a lot of close games in the second half after, after winning a lot of close games in the first half. But it's like, you know, it is. It, it's disappointing because we talked about the Saints in the same way a couple of weeks ago, and the Saints closed strong and found ways, and the and the Ravens just could not finish out these games. So just a very frustrating loss for them, and the and the Steelers. Listen, first of all. Steelers fans, Damashek and everybody else, that had to be the most painful, strange Sunday night football experience ever. I mean, when they cut to that fan, the NBC cameras, the Steelers fan that's uh, somehow in Vegas, and he he saw what looked like uh, the Raiders running out the clock at midfield. Um, can you imagine the what all those fans went through? And for it to end the way it did on a field goal, if he misses the field goal, it's a tie, and you miss the playoffs. That would have been an all timer in terms of fan pain. I mean, that was that was an all timer. Just thinking about it, that that puts the Steelers into. I mean, man. So they are going to enter the playoffs as underdogs because they're just they're. Let's face it, not a very good team. But credit to Mike Tomlin and credit to T.J. Watt. Uh, I guess you give Ben some credit because he did uh, have the big fourth down conversion there that set up the field goal that allowed them to advance. He's running on empty, uh, and yet now he's uh, wandering like a, a walker into the uh, playoffs. It's pretty crazy to see that it's the Steelers who come out of that division with the Bengals because they so clearly felt like the fourth best team for much of the year. Yeah, this is – I don't know if this season – you know, we needed a seventh AFC team, but this is how uh, it works <laughs> Works out some years. Uh, credit to Marquise Brown, too, for dropping that touchdown in the end zone um, late in the game. It was right in his bread basket. Yeah, no, that, he's, that probably probably would have won the game there. T- talk about it. He, he's almost like the uh, embodiment of the Ravens season, starting so well and promising and cratering in the end. So tough year for the Ravens. They'll be back with Lamar Jackson, assuming his ankle's better by week one next September. I don't know. That was a weird injury, the way it, it all played out, but uh, 
The Steelers move on. Who do the Steelers have again? They get... The Chiefs. The Chiefs. The Chiefs. Who, who obliterated them a couple weeks now, ago. Now, you know, these things have a way of surprising you, but just the way it all shook out, I feel like we got the most lopsided or less least interesting matchups possible. But but maybe uh, maybe Raiders, Bengals, Steelers, Chiefs, Eagles, Bucks, maybe those will surprise me. Come on. Do I have to watch a game on Nickelodeon, the Cowboy game, the Niner Cowboy game? Just give me a heads up. Yes, I don't have to. I'm making you. You know, Troy, Troy, and Joe will have that. (laughs) All right, good. Just want to double check. I mean, it's great for the kids, and Nate does a great job with it and everything. But just wanted to make sure I wasn't getting banged as an adult in a big spot there. Um, All right, so the Steelers advance. One more week of uh, the Ben retirement. One more week of stories about Big Ben. The zombie Steelers live on. I cannot believe it. What was that, Ben? Wow, he even laughs like a zombie. Let's not assume one more week. I don't want to jinx that and suddenly that's have it be two, point. three, or that's four. A fair, that's a fair point. All right, so the Colts cannot take care of business against an AFC South also ran. The Titans also had a chance to uh, win in a layup, or so we thought. That turned out to be a challenge as well. Tannehill looks left, comes back to the middle, fires. Julio Jones, touchdown, Titans, finally! Julio for six. <laughs> Mike Keith with the call WGFX. The Titans clinched the top spot in the AFC for the first time in 14 years, beating the Texans 28 to 25. Behind Ryan Tannehill's career high, tying four touchdown passes. That was the 12th win of the year for the Titans. They locked up their second straight AFC South title last week. And they have the number one seed in the AFC for the third time since leaving Houston in 97. First time since 2008. Talked about that on Thursday. They were one and done, so they're looking to change that up this year. They also get the first round bye, of course. Mark, this one looked like a laugher at halftime, but Houston and Davis Mills made Tennessee earn it in the end. Yeah, this this grew fishy for Tennessee. I mean, they had a 21-0 lead at half. They had outgained the, the uh, Texans 268 yards to 67. It looked like Houston was simply not going to be able to operate on any level. And then in the second half, Davis Mills, who, I mean, I think we've seen these halves from him where he suddenly gets hot. He's efficient. He can throw the ball really well, like just caught total fire. Danny Amendola caught total fire. I mean, this is like a team built of like expatriates and, and, and people that had been essentially been written them off. And the Titans, like, or the, the, the Titans in the second half opened with three straight three and outs. And, and you really just were starting to wonder if maybe they get caught off guard here. And I thought that Tannehill made one of the plays of the year. And it was essentially a third and five where they were just searching for life. And he got whacked by this guy, Jacob Martin. It looked like he was going to go down. He escapes the sack and completed a 36-yard pass to Nick Westbrook-Akina, which helped set up the touchdown, their only score of the second half, and it was just enough to escape. So they did what they needed to do. It, it grew a little too close for comfort, but they are your number one seed. It was a very Titans win. That play was awesome, by the way. I know. It's I thought it was just – it showed me everything about Tannehill. Tannehill. At that point that, of the game, yeah, yeah the Titans could take away. over. Texans have a chance. Yeah. That, so that was, I agree. That was the turning point of that game. And it is interesting to me that, and this is, I'm not factoring in any overtime minutes and, and we'd love to get Gravedigger on right now. Um, 
and 1,020 minutes of game time for the Titans in the regular season. Uh, it took until the 1,013th minute for Julio Jones to score a touchdown. Uh, but he was a difference maker here. I think there were a couple games, Justin, where he was a, a difference maker. And by a couple, I mean two. Uh, but yes. now, now he gets two weeks. Uh, A.J. Brown gets two weeks. And most importantly, your boy, Derek Henry, gets two weeks with Ryan Tannehill going into the playoffs with confidence. Where's your confidence level at 1 to 10 about a deep playoff run? Probably like a nine-ish. I mean, just watching the other AFC teams today, it's like the Chiefs are clearly one of the best teams, and I think the Titans are the other best team. And I think a Titans-Chiefs 2019 AFC Championship game rematch is somewhat inevitable at this point. Ooh, I like Ooh. the confidence. I'm, I, I, that's a great point because I thought the same thing kind of looking at the AFC where the bills have been a little wonky here late in the season and that you just wonder about what version of that team shows up. The Bengals are obviously the X factor here, uh, but you don't look at them as some unstoppable superpower. So the Titans, by virtue of having the advantage of a free pass to the divisional playoffs and the home home game, yeah, they're set up very well here in a conference that's wide open. Well, and the way the seeds fell, and it's always dangerous to project out because either way they play the lowest seed. But I think if I was a Titans fan, I'd I would like the idea that you could avoid Kansas City and or Buffalo until the conference. That that if the seeds held, you get the Bengals, and I think that's probably your best possible mm. uh, matchup. But you also just, you mm. know, gave up a, a huge comeback by Davis Mills in the second half. Yeah, I so, I mean, say. let's not let's not beat our chest too much. I don't see a free pass. It, barring a massive upset by the Raiders or Steelers, I don't see a free pass here once you get to that uh, final oh, eight. No. But, no free, no free yeah. pass. It's basically just there was a scenario, you know, it could have felt different, I guess, if that if you somehow got stuck against the Chiefs. But since they won Saturday, I guess you weren't worried about it. Right. If you had blown yeah, this th- game, basically. I, I think, like, you know, the Patriots have a pretty good shot to upset the Bills with Belichick just being such a great defensive mind there that that would be a pretty good matchup for the Titans, too. The Bengals have so much trouble on the offensive line. Can they stop the run? I feel like once you get into the playoffs, the teams that can run and stop the run have such an advantage, and the Titans have been so good stopping the run lately and they, once they get Derrick Henry back, I mean, they've been running the ball well without Derrick Henry. So once you get him back, they should be able to continue pounding it. I think the second half today was, I mean, definitely discouraging. But it also gives you a lot of good teaching points for the next two weeks so you don't go into the playoffs too, like, overconfident or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you on that. Well, Wait, what, what's the, what are you laughing about, Mark? I mean, I just, you know... I it, it concerned me a little bit what happened in the second half, but I'm I'm with Gravedigger that like they are who they are. They've been really resilient, and I don't. There's no team in the league that would be helped more heading into the playoffs with a week off to get healthier. And I would say I would guess Gravedigger, and you tell me if uh, my hunch is correct that all like the uh, bozos like me and and tens of thousands of other quote unquote uh, analysts of the field who were in love with the Colts this season. <laughs> they go down in flames while you lock up the number one seed. So this feels like a pretty nice day for Titans Nation. It was. I think Titans Twitter was like more excited to see the Colts lose than they were to see the Titans win because everyone kind of expected the Titans to beat the Texans, but nobody really expected the Jags to beat the Colts. So right. It well, and it's fun. been it's been months of people, you know, telling you Titans man that like 
the Colts are actually the better team here. And it's like there is an aura of disrespect, I think, that fan base. You've won 12 games. You're the number one seed. Well, are you, you better what, than though? the Chiefs? I don't know. It's it's funny, like, this is going to sound like still trying to fight a battle that's already lost now. But, like, two weeks ago, that absolutely made sense. And it wasn't – I don't know what happened to the Colts, but I will tell you one thing I did, I did do. I dipped into the uh, Colts subreddit just to oh, see no. what was going on. Whoa. 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 Not, not, not pleasant. So – I'm sure the Titans, maybe a Titans fan, did the same thing. But you don't, you, you yeah. don't, you don't inter, you don't interact in that situation. You don't dare get into the uh, the the commentary and, and rub in or anything. But you just, if you want to check it out, lurk. Be I sometimes lurker. like to lurk uh, for teams I, that I dislike or teams that are going through something very painful. And I thought that was interesting. Ursay is definitely in there, like with. <laughs> A bunch of fake accounts. Yeah. The Colts have seven pro bowlers and didn't make the playoffs. That's crazy. Very crazy. And the Titans are a team that says, hey, we, uh, we've been overlooked. Now's our time. So the stage is set. Good job for you, uh, by you, Gravedigger. I'm sure the, the metrics are rolling in over on the, uh, Titans film room podcast. Nailed nice. it. Nice. You got one coming up. You got one coming up tonight or what? Tomorrow. We'll record tomorrow. Let's just get it up early, okay? Let's take advantage of the fan excitement, you know? You're right. You're right. We will. All right. Good stuff. All right. There you go. The Titans take care of business. Uh, Let's now move. uh, And by the way, good for Davis Mills. He's fun to watch, huh? I don't know what happens next in his career. Nice little ball player. I noticed um, quickly on the Texans that that they're considering moving on from David Culley, according to our NFL Network guys, and they – sort of hinted that if they were moving on from David Culley, it would indicate that they're like confident in getting the specific person that they want. And it's Nick Casario. So you could try to guess Josh McDaniels would be a logical uh, one. Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien and Casario have links. (laughs) (laughs) He was like in McDaniels' wedding, but I don't know. You never, felt, you never know. But it sounds like that that the bag job is in here. That they have someone that they, they right. want to hire. Which I remember like banging the drum about that in August. It always felt like Cully was set up to just be the patsy here. Uh, but for to his credit, he didn't let the Texans become a laughing stock. They really did battle once they got their feet um, on the ground in about October or so. All right. Bad, bad juju if they fire Cully. I get it. That feels it, but unjust also, to me. I mean, he's really done a nice job for them. Right. The contract for the worst position are of any coach. I, I, unlike, I mean, it still would be a bad job and, and terrible. Um, but unlike the players, the contracts are guaranteed. So that's an, he, he got a five year contract, which is. Wait a second. See, now I'm confused. So, <laughs> and I know some of the, it's maybe standard for these guys to get five years or something close to it. But if you gave him a five year deal, and then he took that roster of nobodies and made them competitive week after week and made them get better as the season got along. And then you fire him. It's almost like the Texans don't have a clear plan what they want to do with their organization. Mm. I'm just that's just like a theory that I'm uh, percolating in my brain that they might right. not know what the <laughs> hell they're doing. I think you're connecting some dots there in a, in a wise way. <laughs> All right, let's move to uh, back to Saturday where the Chiefs were looking to give themselves a chance to take that number one seed. It didn't work out, of course, but they did their part just barely. Lock is... No, the ball is out! The ball is out! Touchdown! 
goes out and picked up by the Chiefs, taking off his Melvin Ingram. They're chasing Ingram. He's at midfield. No, it's Dorian. It's at Nick Bolton. Nick Bolton at the 20. 10, 5, touchdown, Kansas City on a defensive score. Melvin Ingram knocked the ball out from Melvin Gordon, the third. And it was picked up by Nick Bolton, the rookie linebacker. Mitch Holtis with the call WDAF. What a dramatic play. And I've been mixing up Melvin Gordon and Melvin Ingram on the show for about five years now. They finally met up in a dramatic moment, and it did not work out well for the running back, Melvin, (laughs) at all. On a day when the offense was held in check, it was once again the Chiefs' defense that stepped up for the AFC West champs. Melvin Ingram forced the Melvin Gordon fumble. Nick Bolton scooped it up. Took it to the house. Game-swinging play. 28-24 win for Kansas City. As I said, at the time, it moved the Chiefs into the number one spot in the AFC. Titans took care of business Sunday. Took it back. So the Chiefs, the number two seed. And they get a nice matchup there, as we've said, against the Steelers on Sunday night. Now, Mark, news out of Denver after the game. It was reported the next morning that the... uh, Vic Fangio is out after three years without a playoff trip. Uh, and the Broncos, it seems, Mark, are trapped in a time loop right now. Uh, and they are looking for a coach. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, for whoever um, is interested in that job and um, becomes an interview candidate, like, there are questions, major questions around the quarterback situation. I mean, in, in another world, maybe Las Vegas opens up too. you've got a quarterback there and like Denver has a huge problem to solve on that front I don't know uh, you know I mean Vic Fangio it, to me is just the latest example of like I'd love to have him as a coordinator but these teams that are built around like a, like a, an impenetrable defense and not much else on offense um, are just, just seem doomed to me that said I mean like the Chiefs they ran for like 191 yards on the Chiefs that's the second time that's happened to Kansas City in a couple weeks now and I, I'm a little concerned about that. I'm a little concerned about Tyreek Hill's heel. I mean, his health going into next week. But other than that, they're very explosive. And I think we're looking at a Chiefs team that's going to be very, very tough, to, a very tough out. Yeah, they, they are. And yet this was a bummer of a week. I think they had a, a really bad week because Hill got hurt in warmups. Him and Kelsey haven't done anything the last two weeks combined. Kind of had the ball forced to them. Damian... Uh, Williams, who's been really good, was banged up in this game. Edwards Alaire is out right now. And their cornerbacks are just playing like this man. I guess they've been playing man coverage and being that aggressive all season, but they've gotten roasted in the last two games. The only reason it didn't come back to haunt them in this one is Drew Locke just, you know, couldn't connect on, on a lot of these passes and the Broncos couldn't quite make them pay. But I, I think that could that could be a problem in, in some playoff matchups. And offensively it was like it was the story of their season basically wrapped into one game. The the Chiefs only had seven drives in this game essentially. They averaged ten plays a drive in those. That's, that's outrageous. They averaged 10 plays a drive. Um, and so it's not like the Broncos were stopping them, but it was just like endless seven-yard throws from Mahomes. So he had to throw a lot of passes to get to where he was at, and they ended up needing a defensive score to get it done. Listen, the Chiefs win 12 games. They win their division. They very nearly get the number one seed. So on some level, they did what we expected the Chiefs to do. But I've never 
in the la- you know, in the Mahomes era felt that they're as vulnerable as they are this year, just because, you know, Patrick Mahomes averaging six yards per attempt is something that's happened too often this season. And yeah, I think the injury to Tyreek Hill is, is major and it really puts a lot of pressure on guys like Nicole Hardman and Byron Pringle and Travis Kelsey uh, to step up and be special. So while I think, you know, they're set up to, you know, get through the first round, certainly I think they'll take care of business there. After that, I, I see it as being pretty much a crapshoot, you know, in the AFC because the Chiefs just, they've shown us too much, too many times this year that they are capable of becoming, being very, very uh, human and vulnerable on any given week. Would it Although be a shock, this- though, if they went on like a three-game tear? I mean, I'm with you. Like, they've just not been the old Chiefs in various ways all year. But, I mean, what if suddenly Patrick I wouldn't put Mahomes- it past them. I mean, they went to the Super yeah. Bowl the last two years and won the la- the first time. So, yeah. But at the same time, like, that would also be maybe a break from who they've been for most of the season. Right. I thought Mahomes had played his best three games of the year in terms of a stretch in a row leading into this game. And he, he played well. He played fine in this game. It wasn't really on him. Uh, it was more the offense around him. They did have a great Sunday, though. Getting the Steelers instead of the Chargers, to me, if you're if you're a Chiefs fan, that is a pretty big difference. <laughs> I mean, for us, too. Right. Mahomes, Mahomes said after this game, we're still looking for that complete game. And I laugh because he was removed from the Steelers game a couple weeks ago with a 30 to three lead with 13 minutes left or 33 to three lead with 13 minutes. Left. I was like, well, that wasn't a complete game. Right. Why? Because Henny didn't, you know, the, it's like, well, we could have played a lot better when we were up 33 to three against the Steelers. That's probably what he felt. It's also the middle of January. It's like you're still looking for the best version of your team. It might not be showing up. It may have already happened. I, I hate the I hate the Andy Reid punts in opposing territories. It's two straight weeks. Where uh, it could have hurt them, you know. You got Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. You're punting on fourth and five from the forty. Is like back to back weeks is killing me. Um, and I think uh, with the Broncos as they begin their head coaching search, it just feels like you could hire whoever. But until they figure out this quarterback situation, we'll see what happens this offseason. Well, ownership and- is a problem. Like it's it's the biggest um, question I think for any coach or anything going on. I mean ownership right now is it's a legal fight it's unclear who the owner will be for the next coach but it's it's pretty clear that the current owner will not be the owner for very long for this new coach assuming a new coach gets hired so that that to me is very problematic that's very hazardous like every everything you hear about where to go for a job like that's that's all bunch of red flags right there Right. Like if you how how attractive is this Broncos job? They don't have a big time quarterback in place. They don't have stability and ownership like they're not going to be able to get a top candidate. It, it makes it makes me wonder if they would have knocked off uh, the Chiefs here, whether the Broncos would have thought about keeping Vic around knowing that as well, because they're not they're not naive to the the fact that this is going to be present a challenge for them. Um, but they didn't get the job done. It's a story of the Broncos. In the Fangio era, uh, good defense, offense, making big mistakes and killing them. And I'll do it the last time, maybe, on this show. With Vic now out the door, no longer in the big chair. Moment of silence for Vic, followed by this. Fangio. We'll be right back. Josh. (laughs) 
takes a snap out of the gun steps up in the pocket looks into the end zone trying to fire it going to keep it himself finally throws it late it is caught in the end zone no it is incomplete Stefan Diggs, I don't think he got his feet down in the end zone. Yeah, this is this is essentially a four-point swing. If After able discussion, to. it is a touchdown. Oh. <laughs> they don't have to challenge. You can talk them into it. Go crazy, Orchard Park. Let's go, Buffalo. 27-10 over the Jets. In a game where the offense, once again for Buffalo... Had you scratching your head a little bit. Never really came together against the Jets, who entered the game with the 32nd ranked defense in the league. Uh, but it didn't really matter because the Bills' defense absolutely destroyed uh, the Jets' offense, holding them to, wait for it, 55 yards total. The lowest total in the history of the New York Jets. Uh, 55 yards of offense. They somehow got 10 points out 55 yards. There was a, a fourth and uh, fourth down completion uh, from Zach Wilson to Keenan Cole that went for 40 yards for a touchdown. But that was about it. The Bills, so not very impressive uh, by a long shot on offense. But against a team like the Jets, you didn't need to be perfect. But that's two straight, Mark. That's two straight games going to the playoffs where, yes, you got the Ws against the Falcons and the Jets. But the Bills attack wasn't in gear will they be able to flip the switch against better competition well i I don't seem to have the same faith in buffalo that um that you guys do and so i i i view them as a team that's going to get picked off in the afc uh after maybe winning a game but i mean i feel like every time i looked up uh zach wilson was getting absolutely pummeled he was sacked nine times they were one for 14 on third downs and my one you know this isn't a jets conversation so much but that lack of consistency on what they've been on offense is concerning. I mean, Buffalo, I think, just played a discombobulated attack today, if anything. Well, the Jets' offense has been you know, better the last couple of weeks, certainly last week. So to hold the Jets to 53 yards, the lowest in franchise history... I mean, they they get some credit for that, you know. It's like no one no one else has done done that to them. That is outrageous. The the New York Jets have played a lot of football games. To have this be the lowest amount in the history, is there outrageous. was a guy the Jets, and it didn't help that the Jets have miss, were missing all their wide receivers mostly. By the end of the game, there was this guy named Tariq Black on the field. And man, I'm a pretty big Jets fan. Like I know this roster. I have no idea who that guy is. And he actually made a catch, and, and it was his first career catch, and that was good for him. But you know, they missed. They missed uh, between um, between the Elijah Moore, between Jameson Crowder, between Keenan Cole, um, uh, the Tennessee wide receiver. It's late. Corey the Davis, they were they were on their yes. third left tackle. They they were definitely shorthanded. They missed so many. They were missing so many guys. So none of this was very predictable. Uh, Zach Wilson did end the year without an interception in his last five games. Go build around the kid. Uh, now the the Bills. Good news also for the second straight week. 170 yards uh, rushing. Uh, so that that helps as well. Obviously, Devin Singletary showed some signs of life late in the season. So the running game is in a good place for them. Um, Josh Allen in the passing game, very up and down, uh, 45 attempts uh, against the Jets. Again, 32nd ranked in the league, worst defense in the league statistically, and he averaged a touch over five yards per attempt. So they got to clean it up. It wasn't very good weather there, very windy, uh, icy day. Uh, so you got to factor that in as well. But 
take care of business game, but also I, I look at the Bills and I'm like, hmm, are you going into the playoffs in a good in a good place? I'm not I'm with sure. You. I'm not I'm with sure. You. Right, but I, I think, and we'll we'll have all week to talk about it. I know it's getting late because um, because Emika's coming into the room now. We're taping in the bedrooms. So I think she's oh, like no. ready to go to bed. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I think they're happy to see the Patriots. I really do. Just I think just because it's like a familiar opponent that they just played their best game of the season against a few weeks ago. Not that that guarantees a victory, just that like they know this, they know this team They're I don't think they're going to be um, intimidated by it at all. It's a very familiar opponent. It's not like, Oh, we got to go do a bunch of work to like figure out the Patriots. You, well, you know, the they Patriots. know, they know, they know Buffalo too. Right. We'll see. Right. I, well, I think the Patriots are the I same feel like way. We've it's been, a short we've been week. Tilting it's a Saturday this... game. My point is they're just like familiar. I think both teams will go into and it. Like Mark, like before happy. you get too anti-Bills, because you're not do this on the show, let's check in with what the, the Patriots did in their final That's game of the fair. regular That's season. That's fair. We should. They throw it out to Myers. Myers, they're just going to run around with it. Touchdown. There you Touchdown, go. Miami. And Guavin intercepted the pitch in the end zone. It's a fumble recovery, but it's a pitch. It's a touchdown. Jimmy Cephala with the call. The Dolphins, man, they play well against the Patriots in their building, especially late in the season, it seems. They take care of business 33-24 to over the Pats. The Pats had to get a win and a Bills loss to take the AFC East. Instead, they get spanked here uh, by Miami. So they head into the postseason on a down note. At ten and seven, I believe they lost three or four mark to end the season. So they end they enter the playoffs in a little bit of a, a, a funk too. Yeah, this was a an uncharacteristic Patriots game. Sloppy. Uh, they allowed the Dolphins right out of the gate to go on a thirteen play drive that saw Tua go seven for seven touchdown drive, and then seconds later, Mac Jones throws a pick six to Xavier Howard. They're suddenly down fourteen nothing. Mac Jones lost a fumble later in the game. We heard that Jacoby Myers lateral disaster at the end that kind of sealed it. Uh, Duke Johnson ran all over them for 117 yards. The Pats gave up 195 on the ground. Jalen Waddell set the record for the most rookie receptions in NFL history. The Patriots are also banged up. Christian Barmore got hurt late in the game. Isaiah Wynn, their left tackle, left with an ankle injury. Ramondre Stevenson had a head injury. I mean, it just seemed to me their, their worst performance in a while. And Belichick basically said, we played poorly, coached poorly, didn't do anything. Mac Jones said it was a super, he used the words, a super embarrassing performance on his own. Now, I think he made, Mac Jones made some pretty fantastic throws down the stretch, but they were, it, it, they built, they put to themselves in too much of a hole. And like you said, down in Miami, the Dolphins have somehow had their number the last week of the season, and they did it all over again. Right, and they did it in New England a couple of years ago too to to get that one take that one seat away with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, the injuries to me are the the biggest story. Like the the Patriots haven't looked like a world beating team other than against the Jaguars for a while. But you know, Barmore to me is their best defensive lineman right now. Judon's gone real quiet and made a lot of mistakes over the last month. Uh, and Barmore gets carted off. You're starting left tackle. Stevenson makes them special, I think, with the one-two combo with Harris. And so that, to me, is their biggest problem. Not not even just that they're playing poorly, because I think they could bounce back, but those are three really important players for them. I'm going to set the spread. This feels like a 
Mm. They'll set it at Buffalo by three, laying that wood. That's my guess. Uh, four and a half. Four and a half. Okay. All right. So they're giving the Bills a little more respect. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, that's something to track here with the Patriots, where they're at injury-wise. Let's um, keep moving on here and take care of the AFC by taking a trip to Believe Land. Keenum play action fake. Steps in the pocket. He's got a good pocket. He throws left. Landry caught it. At the five to the end zone. Touchdown. And the Browns go ahead 6-0. Oh, yeah. Case Keenum getting it done. Two touchdown passes for the backup quarterback. In for Baker Mayfield after he underwent surgery to fix his body up. And the Browns hold off the Bengals 21-16. The Bengals who started Brandon Allen uh, rested a bunch of starters. They weren't really into playoff positioning. They chose to try to get healthy for wildcard weekend. So the Browns finish 8-9. Bengals 10-7. Browns go home. Bengals get the Raiders on Saturday in the West of Us for Adults game. Mark, <laughs> how you doing, buddy? Um, I'm very. Did I'm you watch very, this game? I don't even know. Do we have this? Do I, we have eyes I, on this one? You know how I'd like to have like 14 games up at the same time on yes. my it's screen. Very unhealthy. I have, yeah, it's it, it. It got the best of me today. I I kept an eye on it. Um, it just feels like anything in life that needed to end a couple months ago. The the watching the Browns on a weekly basis. <laughs> They've driven me nuts. Um, you know, I think one of the bigger news items over the weekend were these reports that. They are bringing Baker Mayfield back. That that at least that's where we stand right now. It sounds like that that whatever divorce we thought might happen will not be happening. So I, you know, I think it's just there's a lack of other quarterbacks to go look for. But what an uninspiring performance by them and the Bengals. Who would have thought three or four months ago come out as the much more electrifying team in Ohio? Um, it's been a depressing year for Browns fans in every possible way. And we'll yet, see like, about that Baker report. I wonder if uh, if it's it's a done deal or that's just like the starting point in this story and right, Browns kick the tires. You know? it, could I think this, it could change. I think this January thing, it's always couched. It says they plan to move forward. Well, you got to put it out there like that right now because they, they probably do not like the idea of what's happened in the last week, which is that like there's a good chance that he's going to be traded. That hurts their leverage. They have to start it at the point where – of course we're okay keeping him or they're already like starting any trade talks at a disadvantage and they want him to believe that they're keeping him too because that's obviously a, a possibility but you don't have to worry about it now i did see like a headline i didn't read it but one of the local browns papers is just like that said you know case keenum gives them solid play solid quarterback play in this game they could have used solid quarterback play over the last six weeks and i and i do think that's a fair thought that you do wonder what this season could have been like with with a healthier baker or just with case keenum over the last six weeks because as as bad as a season it was it was you know they're one game out of the playoffs it wasn't that that crazy well i mean dan has been pushing for them to put keenum in for two months and i think you know in the final analysis there's a strong reason to think that things could have been a little bit different all they needed to do was score another touchdown in a couple of these games i mean they they were competitive but Quarterback play was a major, major issue for them. Um, all right, so there we go. We'll, we'll be talking about the Browns offseason plans. We'll be talking about what happens next with uh, all the 
teams that move on from their head coaches a little later in the week. Uh, but that wraps up the AFC. Let's take a break here and move on to the NFC. Welcome back. All right, now, AFC in the books. But there's a whole other conference we're going to dig into now, figure out how the playoffs all shook out. No better place to start than right here in Los Angeles, where the Rams and Niners did battle in a classic. Hit it, Ricky. Stafford back on first down, throws a deep one down the right sideline for Odell Beckham Jr. Intercepted by Ambry Thomas. Ambry Thomas takes it away. The Rams only have one timeout remaining. The 49ers are going to win the game in L.A., and they have won the game. They are going to Dallas, Arlington, Texas next week to end it. Greg Papa with the call, KNBR. Embry Thomas, the rookie, closed it out with the interception of Matthew Stafford in overtime, overtime, allowing the San Francisco 49ers to defeat the Los Angeles Rams 27-24 to at SoFi Stadium. SoFi Stadium that was packed with Niners fans. I mean, that was... That told you something right there. In this game, Greg, the Niners, overcame a 17-0 first-half deficit. They took the game over in the trenches, gave the lead up again, but they kept coming back, and they closed it out. They're going to the playoffs where they'll face the Cowboys next week in Dallas. The Rams, even though they lose, still win the NFC West because the Cardinals gagged and they will uh, host the Cardinals next week. Crazy game, fun game, lived up to the hype, Greg. Yeah, I can't think of many cases of a team forcing their way into the playoffs with a more stirring win than this. To be trailing 17 points in the second half, and you know we, we know that the 49ers needed this win because of what happened in that Saints-Falcons game to get into the playoffs, to come all the way back, to need a, a touchdown drive, the, going the length of the field to tie it, to force overtime with no timeouts, to get it uh, is one of the moments, obviously, of the Kyle Shanahan era of Jimmy Garoppolo's career and to me one of the worst moments of Sean McVay's coaching career because I put a lot of this game on the way he handled the last couple of minutes you're referring to after the touchdown to tie it I assume at 24 the Rams get the ball back with some timeouts and a little bit of time no I'm I'm talking about when when they have the lead and they're near midfield um what what is it? Twenty four seventeen, right? Under mm-hmm. two minutes to go. You bring in Matthew Stafford. You need one first down to end the 49ers season, to end this five game streak. And what do you do? You call three straight runs, the third of them on third and seven with total give up play. You know it's not gonna get it. You are choosing at that point on third and seven that you would rather take the final timeout from the 49ers, then give yourself a chance to win. It was an unbelievable Herm Edwards moment, topped um, uh, a few seconds later or a few a drive later when it's 24-all. And, yeah, they get, they get the ball to the 37 or so. Matthew Safford is sacked with about you know 13 seconds left, and he let the time click off. That wasn't as bad to me as the three straight runs, but that was insane, too. They had time for at least two plays, and they were only 25 yards away from field goal position with the Pro Bowl kicker. That was 100% Sean McVay, like, losing his 
his nerve or his mind a little bit and not thinking clearly because I bet if he could have especially that last sequence over, he would absolutely take a timeout and not tell his offense that we're giving up. We're not going to give you a chance to make a play. It's unreal, man. Ugh. I was, I was blown away by that. I, can I just, Mark, right. before I throw it to you, I'm going to uh, play the other side of this. I didn't hate the move to run the ball three times there. You had um, gotten a huge interception. Then your offense went down the field. Go ahead, touchdown. Niners come on the field. You get a three and out. And McVay then had a decision. He felt like his defense had settled down, and he said, we're going to play ball control. We're going to kill the timeouts. We're going to like take this thing down. Uh, to a minute and a half to play and force San Francisco to go 90 yards against my defense that I trust and believe in filled with all these stars. And they totally gagged. You can, I- you can, you can trust it uh, when you don't pick up the first down by trying to throw the ball. He's just, he's just like so unbelievably that's conservative not, in these situations. I understand that. I understand what you're saying. He's conservative The situation there. wasn't changing. All but it was that, was taking a timer out or two away. Okay, the the no, clock wouldn't change. Listen, Nothing would change. I know it all looks like the timeouts didn't matter because they went right down the field, but the fact that they really put – they had to go 88 yards without a timeout. Now, Mark, they did it. And I just – I guess what I'm saying is I understand your side of that, Greg, but you basically – McVay said, I trust my defense to not give up a touchdown here, and I thought they gagged in a big spot. I'd love to hear what he has to say about the, the sequence that you that you mentioned, Greg, as well. I mean, it, this is a team that has been totally owned and a coaching staff that's been totally owned by the Niners. And, and we, you know, we knew that coming in. And I, I, I thought that this came down to so many impressive individual performances on both on from both teams. Honestly, it was one of the games where it's like I know we have like 22 games of the year. It was one of the most enjoyable football contests that we've seen this season, and it stood out in a big spot. And for me, I mean, Jimmy G, for all the stuff that Garoppolo has gone through this year, this offseason leading up, that was a signature moment and a signature drive by him. And it was just guys like, you know, all sorts of Niners players stepping up. I love that they did not abandon who they were when they were down 17-0. They came out with that 10 play, 10 straight runs, then the Debo Samuel touchdown pass. I mean, it's like they, to me, that would have been a big spot for them to get away from their identity lose themselves a bit, and the Rams capped the thing. I mean, the Rams looked more like the Niners the way they opened it with a 13-play field goal drive, a 12-play touchdown drive. The Niners were in deep space early on in this thing and did not flinch. I, I, the better, I'm so glad that they've made it into the postseason because the way they're coached, the way they operate, they're imperfect, but they are going to give the Cowboys a test. Hmm. They make the, well, plus our they Super make Bowl the NFC playoffs. Up, uh, our Loves Super Bowl it. picks are alive, Mark. You know, we picked the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. It's still alive. Well, I'm not surprised that, you know, that that's come to fruition. <laughs> Although you jumped um, off it halfway through, I remember. The, By the way, don't worry about that. The San Francisco 49ers <laughs> make the NFC way more interesting uh, in the playoffs here. We'll get to the Saints later. Kudos to how they finished their season. They deserve a lot of credit considering everything they were up against. But I think the 49ers have a chance to go through that conference if, if they get hot. And, I, and, yes, I agree totally about Garoppolo. I think... He is a guy who's a bit of a punching bag. Um, I certainly have not always been very high on him. I thought they were cooked when they were down 17 nothing, and he seemed to be not playing at a high level with the bad thumb and everything. And he made so many big throws down the stretch. And I thought that that drive that, that we were just talking about when McVay decided to punt it away and take the timeouts away and put it in Garoppolo's hands and say, this guy's not going to beat us. And he just, he carved them up. It wasn't even competitive. It was five plays, 88 yards and 61 seconds in a tie game. And I mean, so much of that goes back to, 
I think he's not in the, Cooper Cup, I think, is the offensive player of the year. I think Cooper Cup is a very good chance of or should have a good chance of winning MVP. But if you watch Debo Samuel every Sunday this year, this guy is unbelievable what he brings to this team. As long as he stays healthy uh, and Brandon Ayuk stays on the field and George Kittle's around with that running game, I think this team really is dangerous. Uh, Samuel was dominant in many ways today. I I also think that Samuel, like there are a lot of divas in this league that would not accept the role that he was put into where suddenly you're becoming a running back. I mean, when they scouted him, Shanahan, they talk about the game that Shanahan saw those qualities in him, but he is an unselfish player who is incredibly dynamic and they trust him to do so much. And he's an absolute raging star for this team. Right. The the two big plays on that drive was Ayuk to start it for 21 yards, um, making a great play after the catch. And Samuel making an even better play, a perfect throw from Jimmy G. But then Samuel makes it special going for 43 yards after the catch. Like, I think a lot of quarterbacks could succeed in this situation. And, and they overcame Jimmy G's two interceptions here. Um, but I, I guess I'm being hard on McVay because it's the biggest moment of the season. Right. And he lost his composure. He, they took two timeouts on defense in the overtime. We haven't even mentioned overtime, which the 49ers go down, get get a, a field goal. Uh, the, the Rams do stop them in the red zone. And then at that point, the Rams have to go score a touchdown because a tie, you know, what's the point of a tie in this situation? Really, you want to knock the 49ers out of the playoffs and the, and the 49ers would have made the playoffs with a tie. They didn't have any timeouts left because they had used their two timeouts in like totally bizarre situations before that on one of them, including right before the kick, which it just I guess it was just like a a, a straight. I don't know if it was a La Raville, but it was, I think, one of his worst moments in terms of McVeigh at the end. And and a lot of people are going to get on Stafford, too. You have you had the interception while the 49ers are making that comeback. It's a little bit of an arm punt, but it was a bad throw. Uh, and then you finish with with how they finished, which was like one of the worst series Odell Beckham could have possibly had. It appears that he ran the wrong route on the first uh, snap, got in the way a cup, and then Stafford has a bad throw to, to OBJ, who, who did stack the cornerback. It was behind him, so it was more on Stafford there, but it was just like a bad I know, but sequence I also, in general. I know this isn't a popular take because everyone's always defend Odell to the end, but are you, can you compete for that ball there a little bit more? I don't know. It was over, underthrown, but he well, just he didn't. He didn't. Off. Yeah. He, well, I think one of his issues a lot of the time is he doesn't locate the ball like quick enough in that situation. He just didn't see the ball clearly. I mean, he was behind the defender, so it's tough to really put too too, too much on him um, when the quarterback un- underthrows it. But just yeah, the play before. I mean, that was three straight incompletions to Elda Beckham to finish that game, and it, this game mattered for the Rams. I know they won the division anyways, but they're now the four seed. I don't think the matchup is particularly harder in the first round. You know, you get the Cardinals. Um, although, who who would have they have had? They would have had the Saints. So the matchup is much harder. Yep. They would have had the Saints as a two seed and a possible home game in the divisional round. And now instead, you've got the Cardinals, which is a tougher wild card. And you're going to be, if you win, going on the road to Lambeau in the second round. That's a I big think difference. W- one little thing about the Rams. I thought that they, in the second half especially, in the th- first long stretches of the third quarter, their offensive line, which has, you know, I think there were doubts about their O-line coming into the year, but they've, they've done a commendable job overall. But I thought they were dominated by the Niners front. Uh, they went into overtime with Stafford taking five sacks. At one point, he looked injured. I just think this team, like we've seen their high moments. You kind of could project them to go to the Super Bowl, but 
I also think that they've got a bit of a tight butt situation heading into the playoffs based on this game. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like every couple of weeks there are doubts surrounding the Rams. It was their toughness. It's can Stafford get out of games without multiple interceptions and turnovers. And now you've got this thing with Sean McVay. And I just, I, they're, they're, they've got a lot to answer for a week from now. And yet they are the NFC West champions, and they will be playing at home next week against a fading Cardinals team. Fading is the way to describe them. Let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals, who had a chance to steal the NFC West if they could just beat the six, uh, the seven, excuse me, the six and ten Seahawks in their own building. They couldn't do it. Russ takes the snap, hands to Penny. He gets a backside cut. He goes across midfield, down to 40. He's going to outrun him. 30, 20, 10, 15, 10, 5. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Rashad Penny was going so fast. He was crossing yard lines that I didn't even see. 62 (laughs) yards, ran away from the defense. Rashad Penny, what a day. Steve Reibel, K-I-R-O with the call. Man, Rashad Penny, former first-round pick, all but forgotten as injuries derailed his career. He was a monster down the stretch uh, for the Seahawks. He ran for 190 yards and that score. Russell Wilson threw three more touchdown passes, averaged over nine yards per attempt. And the Seahawks knock off the Cardinals 38-30. to As I said, Arizona still goes to the postseason, but they limp in as the number five seed for their matchup with the Rams. The Seahawks go home, but they at least resembled themselves down the stretch. Uh, Greg, uh, how did this game play out? It played out like uh, the Seahawks were the playoff team. I mean, they just looked like a better team. The Cardinals, to me, were lucky to be in this game towards the end. At halftime, it was 229 yards for the Seahawks, 86 for the Cardinals. It took a Gerald Everett drop in the end zone, wide open play, which has kind of been, unfortunately, his specialty this year, uh, and a Chandler Jones forced fumble that turned into a, a touchdown uh, by the Cardinals' defense on, like, the second play from scrimmage uh, to keep this thing close. But then the, Car- the Cardinals come all the way back in it, and you think that they've righted the ship. Um, but Seattle's offensive line was, like, great down the stretch. I mean, they were like opening up holes for Rashad Penny. Uh, Wilson was about as explosive as I've seen him uh, this season in terms of like evading defenders. It was a lot of just Russell Wilson improvising as he runs around. Making a statement on Rosenthal in a lot of ways. He, um, I don't know. Like you, you looked at these two teams. I think they caught the Seahawks at the wrong time. But I went into this game thinking the Seahawks are just a better team right now that they've played their best lately. It's mostly because of their offense, and the Cardinals are are a bit of a mess. I mean, James Conner got hurt right at the end of this game too. I don't know if it was serious, but he converted a third and eighteen run uh, and then left the game after that, and that that got me worried because he he made a big difference just by being out there t- today. I worry about this team, this Cardinals team. They just it's just been a month straight of confused offense. Uh you know, they're banged up. Uh their their defense which used to be such a difference making unit, um you know, they had a big play that what was it a near pick 6 today that put them in deep in Car- in Seahawks territory, but I mean, Rashad Penny has kind of made it impossible to deal with the Seahawks too. I mean, they caught him at the wrong time. They just caught him at the wrong time and I don't I just I, I look at the Cardinals and they don't seem like the team they were two months ago. And yeah, Kyler Murray like, you, is so visibly frustrated today. He just seems 
It, something's he's not sl- right. He slammed his helmet yeah. on the ground sitting right next to the coach. I was wondering if that was because they didn't go for it on fourth and short or whether he just was frustrated they didn't pick up the third down because they, like, they did go for it earlier in the game in a similar situation. Because we can say that they caught the Seahawks at the wrong time, but it's like, man, you, if you're if you're any good, you're the Cardinals in that spot in week 18 and you see the scoreboard, what's going on in, in uh, Los Angeles – you should be able to take care of business. So I think when you look at the arc of their season, as disappointed as the Rams are tonight, even as uh, division champions, you love that you have the Cardinals coming into your building. Um, you probably would have liked it better if it was maybe the Eagles or the Saints. But it would have been the Saints, yeah. Yeah, you're you're feeling pretty good because you're like, okay, we can kind of reset things. We get a team that seems to be free-falling out of the mix. Now, of course, this is the NFL and nothing really makes sense. And if Kyler Murray uh, goes off for four or five total touchdowns next weekend, that wouldn't be stunning either. But I think at this point we've seen enough from this offense really since Kyler came back um, to say that, is this going to be ever an explosive unit again for the rest of the year? Right. No, they I mean, had a a 19 play, 10 minute, 41 second drive that didn't even reach the Seahawks red zone, which which is like an anomaly. But it also to me spells out how unexplosive this offense is. Like each one of their receivers, Kirk. Green and Wesley like made backbreaking mental errors in this game, and they're not. It's not like they're making up for it with with great explosive plays. No, they had six drives go for seventeen or fewer yards. I mean, it's just completely counter opposite to the first encounter with the Rams, where they won. I think it was thirty seven to twenty and put up nearly five hundred yards of offense. This is a different team right now. Well, they have two big weaknesses right now. Their offensive line cannot protect Kyler. He, he was a disaster today. And again, I, I really think the Seahawks are playing well. Like that, they. they it, it took too long, but they've looked quite good over the last month or so. Um, and their cornerbacks are really injured where they're playing two practice squad guys. And if they if they could get healthier for next week, that would help. But if not, the Rams, uh, as you said, Dan, have to have to love that match. But I do wonder if this it shouldn't matter in, in theory, but I do wonder if this uh, last couple of games helps Pete Carroll keep his job. You would think it would. I just I can you just totally think see it that. Would. I mean, and as much as. From the outside, we all think, oh, man, this Carroll thing has kind of run its course in Seattle. Well, they have a long track record of success there, even if there's only one ring. And the fact that they end strong, if him and Russell Wilson are in good terms, I would think it's more likely it comes back, Mike, comes back both of them, I should say. Mike Garofolo reported uh, early this morning that the Seahawks have no plans to trade Russell Wilson um, this offseason. So I guess now it be- becomes, if, if that report checks out as true, do they bring back Pete Carroll? I, I think they will. but Right, because who are the Seahawks that are not planning? You would assume that's John Schneider and Pete Carroll, and I, I think that's the bigger first question is if whether those two guys return or not. Well, and we, we thought we'd helps, get all though. these anonymous reports by now, and there's just been not much heat around Carroll being just like playing well. out of there. Even, well, but, in, even when the season's a, a wrap and they're out of contention, just like lighting up a couple opponents at the end of a, a season, I think that matters in terms of calming things down a little bit. Right. If you look at their statistical profile, like in terms of points scored and the analytics and stuff, it's like they almost have the exact same team in yards per play, stuff like that, yards per play allowed as they did a year ago. It was just like they, they won a lot of close games last year and they lost them this year. Um, one one quick note, though, on not a lot of reports is there was one report that was essentially 
there's no which, which is essentially absolutely no one has any idea what Jody Allen is thinking. It's not like Jody Allen, who's you know the sister of Paul Allen, Microsoft heir, uh, is talking to literally anyone and, and is too involved. So I think everyone from Pete Carroll to Russell Wilson, which was the report, is in the dark and just is wondering what she's going. I mean, could you do. pick Jody Allen out of a lineup? I couldn't. I I, I, I did. Not, just not only her. do I not know what she looks like, I don't. I googled okay. her recently just because I was curious about this very yeah, thing. I was like, who? What is Jody? Because I didn't know if Jody Allen was a man or a woman. That was the problem. Um, and it is a woman. Remember so, the movie Dave? Well, we've got we've got that confirmed. <laughs> Mark, remember the movie Dave where the, the fake president comes to the White House? Yeah. And he needs to learn about, like, everybody in the cabinet and all these things. And they actually have the cardboard cutouts uh, so he could, you know, pass as the president. I do the same thing with all not only ownership in the NFL, but also ex- high ranking executives and potential heirs, just so mm. I'm the best version of myself when I do this show. And well, you're very suggest, diligent. Yeah, you're very diligent. And I and I, you know, I could have I could follow your path in that. And I, yet I refuse to. Can, I mean, can you imagine? Because it's not expensive, dude. Those cardboard cutouts that I get made for all these people. The Jody Allen cutout that cost me two hundred dollars. You're, well, plus you're it's so, LA. Like you need to find a place for this. You know, it's like this is taking up a lot of your a rental, lot of space. You know, your your home ownership that you have now. Exactly, but it's all worth it to do this job the right way. <laughs> Let's now move uh, to Greg's darlings, the Saints, who are not playing next week, but they did their very best to get there. Out of the eye formation, fakes the handoff, play action. Taysom looking to the far side, complete to Troutman. Troutman makes the completion, and it's a touchdown. Adam Troutman on the far side, caught it in about the three, and then headed right for the pylon. Touchdown, New Orleans. Taysom Hill, he was looking good on Sunday in Atlanta, throwing a touchdown pass, driving the ball with accuracy. He has to leave the game with a foot injury. Trevor Simeon comes in. He throws a couple touchdown passes. The Saints cruise 30-20 to 20 over the Falcons. We now welcome in the pipe, Nick Shook and Shooky. The Saints needed help here. They needed to win, get to 9-8. and eight. They took care of their business. Then they needed the Rams to take care of the Niners. Unfortunately, that 17-0 lead in Los Angeles didn't hold up, so the Saints go home. But really an impressive close to their season. It was impressive, and I think it was appropriate in the fashion that they did it because they lost Taysom Hill to injury and had to turn to Trevor Simeon to finish this one out and finally got Alvin Kamara going for the first time in about a month. And yet, after putting together you know one of their more complete performances, especially in the second half of the season, they end up sitting at home because, like you said, the 49ers were able to beat the Rams and knock the Saints out of the playoffs. And, and, it, and it really speaks to, you know, for them from a season long perspective, a team that was hand that was dealt a tough hand, managed to fight through a lot of it, but ultimately that is what sank them. The fact that they couldn't win games. They couldn't win a game last week that they desperately needed to win. That type of situation, uh you know, undercutting them and keeping them home uh, for the first time, you know, in five years and, and you know, the first year of the post Drew Brees era ending in disappointment for them, even though they played well. Hmm. Counting on the Rams, you know, it's like the Rams have broken the Saints hearts a few times uh, the last few years. I mean, they had the score bug of the Rams game in the corner of Saints Falcons this whole time. So, you know, you're seeing it's 17 nothing and then you're seeing it's, you know, 24 17 with under two minutes to go. Look like the Saints are in the playoffs, and Trevor Simeon is probably starting that game because Laura Oakman on the sideline reported it was a Liz Frank injury for Hill, Taysom Hill, which was so disappointing. He was playing really well in this game, throwing it well, as you mentioned, Dan, and running it. And I and I know 
the better, more compelling team made the playoffs. I think that ultimately it's better for the overall product. But I actually think the Saints would have been a problem for the Rams I, I, if they had a t- healthy Taysom Hill especially. Uh, this team was just like one of the only defenses that mattered, and they finally were getting some playmakers to make some plays in this game and in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, they got they got Kamara going. Their defense has played well for a long time. The Falcons were playing just letting it fly because they had nothing to lose. And and it made for an interesting game and an entertaining game. But, yeah, like you said, you know, it's, 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 it's disappointing because they would be kind of a tough out just because of the defense that they've had for the majority of the season would make even the highest-powered offense still kind of struggle at times in, in a playoff setting. But, you know, hey, this is this is the value of a quarterback like Drew Brees. I hate to say it, but like, you know, the first year you go into a season without him, you end up starting four different guys. You know, Jameis gets hurt and gets knocked out. It throws your entire plan uh, off kilter and, and you're forced to kind of roll with the punches. And you, I give them credit. I mean, even today they fought through and played a good football game. It's just that all those issues compounded and, and ultimately they, they lose by... You know, they lose out in the playoffs by the skin of their teeth, and they're, I think they're back to the drawing board because, you know, if we look at them long-term, which I, we have months to discuss this, but is Jameis Winston the guy? I mean, you know, they were all right with him. They they were probably in a better situation than they were with any of the guys after him. Um, Taysom Hill, you can make an argument in, in the opposite direction, but this is this is how important a quarterback is. Well, and they, 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 you know, they basically go into the offseason with similar questions they had last offseason, and it's one of the bigger offseasons in the NFC. And I don't think that the wise maneuver would be to settle with the same group of quarterbacks. I mean, I don't, you know, it's not going to be easy to find someone else at this point as the Russell Wilsons don't get traded in X, Y, and Z. But, I mean, from a Saints angle, you'd have to say Sean Payton did an awesome job this year. They, 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 other coaching and other coaching staffs would have crumbled with what was, what they faced, but they, but they cannot go do all of this again next year with, with completely depleted cast of characters on offense and a clown car of quarterbacks who are not ultimately the right guy. I, I agree with you. Clown car, I guess is a little strong because Winston was okay. He wasn't terrible before he got hurt. He had moments for sure, but I, I tend to agree with you that I think they're going to, Peyton's going to certainly, I think, kick the tires and see if he can upgrade the position because to work this hard to get to nine and eight, I don't, there's like kind of a standard that they've set in New Orleans that they view themselves as a team that should be in contention for the Super Bowl every year and they, and they weren't. Kamara, by the way, 30 carries for 146 yards. That, that is not very, that's not the typical Kamara uh, workload that he's had in the past. I wonder, uh, what his workload will look like going forward if they see him as that type of let's use him as a bell cow or do they want to get the offense moving in a different direction where they could use him the way they did with Drew Brees more. Uh, that will be interesting to see. Anything on the Falcons before we kind of close the book on their season, Chuck? We give credit to Russell Gage for having a nice game today. Put together a highlight play, a little hurdle over a defender to pick up some extra yards. He looked good in the box score. I think season long, the guy that stood out to me more than anything, I mean, you can talk about Kyle Pitts. I mean, he was, you know, the top five pick. That's what you're expecting from somebody like him. I thought AJ Terrell took a ton of big steps in his second season. Um, the, the, the next gen stats love him. I mean, he's, he's a stud in that department. And, and I think he's on the course to, 
to be a name that you're going to pay attention to in years to come as long as they can figure out some other things because he's developed into a, a pretty solid corner in only his second year. So there's some positives, and I love the way they played for Arthur Smith this year. It's just that they didn't quite have the talent to be able to get over the hump and into the playoffs. If they spend an offseason adding some talent, then this might be a team we watch out for. And, of course, you have to answer quarterback long-term, but we'll, we'll uh, cross that bridge when we get More there. on ESPN reported they want Matt Ryan back and that they're planning to bring him back. I, I tend to... You know, write these reports on, you know, January 9th in pencil. It's almost like sending a message right. of like, well, okay, we're here, we're behind you, Matt Ryan. Um, but that, it kind of makes sense to me because just because it's a pain, like they could add a rookie with him and it'd be a pain to get rid of him. And I think he played pretty well this year. Well, the financials make it tougher than right. some have expected to just move on from him. And it should also be added here and maybe we'll get him on the show sooner rather than later. But Steve Weish had uh, speculated uh, this past week that Calvin Ridley might be looking for a fresh start after this year where he missed most of the season uh, with what was termed as mental health issues. So, a lot of stuff to figure out with the Falcons, the Saints. Yes, they have a lot to figure out too, but they, you know, they go out with their heads held high. Let's take a break and then hit one more game with Shookie. Shotgun snap, lob down the left sideline. Evans is there. He's got it. That's touchdown number two. That's touchdown, Buccaneers. My goodness. That doesn't sound like Gene Deckerhoff, does it? Anybody? I, I did not think it sounded no. like. I mean, who knows? My goodness, maybe the who knows? Nice I'm saying, well, it definitely wasn't him, but maybe something popped up for old Gene today. You know, a lot of COVID well, opt outs lately. WFUS, the call came from whoever it was. Tom Brady put the finishing touches on another fantastically successful season, both individually and for his team, throwing three touchdown passes. In a 41-17 win over the Panthers, who started 3-0, finished 5-12. But Matt Rule's coming back. That's what we're hearing, Chucky. Uh, you're not going to find... Uh, you could turn me a hater. You could turn me a whatever. I am not a fan of Matt Rule, and I think that the potential that was within this team, which really began in the offseason with the Sam Darnold experiment, which became an experience... Uh, and choosing to go that route over, you know, I don't know, spending your first round pick on a guy like Justin Fields, then into this season and, and all the dysfunction they had offensively and how Darnold clearly wasn't the guy um, and wasting a defense that played really well at times. Uh, it just, the combined product was not up to standard and not, it didn't fit for a guy in his second year who came in pretty highly touted and, and spoke, you know, all the platitudes about building the program and we're going to do it the right way and everything else. It, it hasn't, you know, showed the field. And, and having said all of that, they had a 7 nothing lead after the first quarter in this game. They, they were playing pretty hard. It's not like they quit on the guy. It's just that the product over the entire season is just not enough for me. I think he should be gone. But if he's coming back, he's coming back. And enjoy that, Panthers fans, and whoever you have at quarterback next <laughs> Let, year. Yeah. As, <laughs> Let's spin to the Bucks here because they finished thirteen and four. They won the South. They will host the Eagles uh, next week. I think that is the plum game that any high seed wanted. You wanted to get the Eagles, who I think are going to be out of their depth uh, next weekend. Uh, and uh, this is a team that you have to give them credit, uh, Mark, because uh, last month when they lose nine zip to the Saints and they lose half their offense to injury over the course of three hours. 
No. Were they dominant over the next three weeks? Did they almost get beat by the Jets? Sure. Did they lose Antonio Brown and that turned into a circus? Sure. But they closed and they stuck the landing by winning three straight to put themselves in good position here. Yeah, it's the Tom Brady experience, too. I, I You know, rewatching that Jets game, uh, just what he did at the end of that in that March and the way that they won that affair, it just reminds you that the ecosystem is going to be different with Tom Brady running the show. Uh, they're a low drama operation. They they overcome this kind of stuff. I, I don't know if I see them quite as starry um, a prospect in the playoffs as I did a couple. And even injuries aside, just something about them feels a little bit off at times. Mm. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, they they find a way. Like what, you're getting Rob Gronkowski putting up 130 yards. I, I to me, it's like anything could happen in these playoffs because there is no true dominant team. Um, I don't love the idea of them having to go into Green Bay, for instance. Uh, but outside of that, you know, I think that this is a team that's going to hit the NFC title game. Well, Gronk, I mean, having that big of a game, what was it, 137. So that puts him at about 800 yards for the season over it. I mean, that is outrageous uh, at his age at this point. And the fact that in this game... They were down 7-3. to three. I checked late in the second quarter. There was about a minute to go in the first half. At that point in the game, the Panthers had 12 first downs, and the Bucks had two. The Panthers were putting it on them. It was like 190 yards to 40. And I'm thinking, like, what a terrible way to go into the playoffs. And then I look up at the end, and it's 41-17. to 17, And that's been kind of the story of these Tom Brady Buccaneers in general since he's gotten there. Like, you'll have halves like that, and then the avalanche will come hit you. And it doesn't matter that Ciro Grayson, who's been really good for them, gets knocked out with a hamstring injury, and you're without JPP, and you're without Shaq Barrett, and you're without Levante David, and those guys will matter in the playoffs. But, like, at the end of the day, they put up... 41 it's like it's outrageous it's outrageous that's the thing is they they <laughs> tend to sleepwalk at times and then when they wake up you're toast no matter you know unless you've got a four touchdown lead you're pretty much toast i mean he's completing passes to brashad perriman and ty johnson and cameron Brayton, and Keshawn vaughn scotty miller had a touchdown run that's the thing <laughs> you, you talk about all these injuries and how it might diminish their standing going into the playoffs so i don't know if they can do it they're missing a lot of guys it doesn't matter with Tom Brady at the controls. All you have to do is do your individual job, to borrow the phrase from the Patriots. Do your job. He's going to find you. And more likely than not, you're going to score touchdowns, and they're still going to be a really tough out. Mm. So, you know, going into the postseason now, yeah, this is how you want to go in, of course, with a win like this. But this, more than anything, demonstrates to me that I don't care who they have out there. As long as 12's back there, they got a really good shot. I, I this cannot be hit hard enough, and I know we're we're kind of hitting on it a little bit here, but I'm going to hit on it directly. Tom Brady is five and a half years away from turning 50, and he just completed a season where he set a career high in his 22nd season, 21st season, uh, by throwing for 5,300 yards. He threw 43 touchdown passes. <laughs> he is, uh, depending who you talk to, the favorite or one of the favorites for sure to win the MVP. He is 44 years old. And I just, again, for me personally, my fandom, like him getting away from the Patriots has allowed me to like, not just wallow in the misery of him refusing to get old. And now I just get to enjoy it more because it's like, man, he just, he's doing it again. And that's why like shook saying, even with all these injuries, if you have him back there and no one knows how to play in the playoffs more than Tom Brady and you just do your job, yes, I absolutely could see them being a Final Four team in a few weeks. Hashtag gradual decline. <laughs> Incline. 
in the uh, in the OL, the offensive line, which is among, if not the best in the league, is healthy. And so that's really important. One very quick point, just because there's so much news out there today with all these reports. I, I do wonder if Matt Rule is 100% back. Jay Glazer reported that he'll be back if he hires a rock star offensive coordinator. Our our guys said that the search essentially for a rock star offensive coordinator is coming. Like he's going to hire maybe a former head coach. Like Bill O'Brien was one name thrown That's out a rock there. With, star? I don't think he would be a rock star. Um, he does have a great relationship with Deshaun Watson, a quarterback that they're going to pursue. So you wonder if that's a factor. Uh, but the way Glazer said it, like if if his status is dependent on like what happens with this coordinator hire, I, I don't think his status is 100% guaranteed here. Hmm. I got to give David Ely a hat tip, noted Panthers fan, because the Bill O'Brien thing, he said, well, if they hire Bill O'Brien, they're essentially just hiring their interim head coach. Right. <laughs> if that's right. the state of things, that's that's what you're setting right. yourself up for. How many right. star offensive coordinators are there? I mean, I think they thought they had that with Joe Brady. Yeah, they just fired one. Right. right. And I and for people who have lost uh, track of the Bill O'Brien uh, carousel, uh, he is the offensive coordinator of Alabama, which is a celebrated and highly successful college football program. It has a big game FYI. on Monday night. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and is interviewing for the Jaguars head coaching job as well. So He's the latest product of the Nick Saban coaching rehabilitation program. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Shook, uh, we have reached the end of our time in the regular season with you. Uh, we will absolutely love to have you on the show uh, down the stretch and throughout the offseason, but we want to thank you again for the vital work you do uh, for our program on these Sundays, like filling in the gaps, and not only just filling in the gaps, uh, making the show better with your great analysis and uh, genial attitude toward life. Genial. I like that. Thanks, yeah. guys. I appreciate you know, it's, it's been fun being on. You know, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me this whole season. All right. Been great Good man. Really Good man. filling that gap. I mean, he he overfills it. <laughs> Fill the part of that gap. The pipe. Now he's got to get back to the gym because the pipe never rests. Oh, that grunt. There he goes. The pipe out the door. We continue on now. So we're going through things. We're checking boxes. We're talking playoff teams. How about two more? This game played on Saturday, Cowboys-Eagles. Dak Prescott, next touchdown pass would be the single-season record. And he's looking for it here. Throwing out to the left, it's caught and into the end zone. Touchdown, there it is. He finds Corey Clement, an eight-yard touchdown pass for Dak Prescott, his 37th of the season, a new Dallas Cowboys single-season record. Westwood won with a call there. Dak Prescott threw a career-high five touchdown passes and broke Romo's record there. He did it against Eagles backups, I should say, but it is what it is. Cedric Wilson and Dalton Schultz each had two touchdown catches. And the Cowboys closed out their regular season with their second 50-burger in three weeks against an overmatched division foe. Final score 51-26 against the Eagles that a team that prioritized their health in the wild card round over a possible better playoff seed. Now, all that said, that was a nice win, Mark. I think you and I were on the same page on the Thursday preview show that even if the Cowboys didn't make a big change where they ended up, and they are the number three seed, they will face the 49ers in what will be a very tough game for them. Uh, To go into the playoffs on a high note, 
uh, it helps. Even if it does, like in the back of my head, for instance, keep me wondering, is this team like, are they bullies? Can they just, they pile on and beat up against these teams that are overmatched and then kind of cower a little bit against real competition? Real competition's coming. We're going to find out next week where the Cowboys really stand. Yeah, that'll be the acid test. But we basically ordered them, requested them to have an explosive finale. And they went and did exactly that. Now, I mean, look at the game, some of these games where you've got people sitting. I get that that, you know, this is not where where, where we're going to be a week from now. But it showed Dallas flexing their muscles. And to me, it, it does it does bring more faith into into their ceiling and what they can be. Um, I think they're, it's their defense, too. They're, just, they're a balanced team. And we've talked about how we feel about the Rams going in the way they have. Um, the Cardinals fading fast. Like, any one of these NFC teams that can go in and light up, light a team up, I don't care how it happened, the way that Dallas did it, it adds faith. And I, I think that they're a dangerous opponent. I, I think they needed it for themselves because they said as much. They just seem like a, like a, 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 con, a team that has some confidence issues. They're like, too high or too low, you know, they say, oh, don't get too high, too low. I mean, that, that's not the, what the Cowboys are. Jerry Jones likes to get too high, and they like to get too low. <laughs> and, you know, Dak Prescott did not want to say that he was having a slump or that he wasn't playing with confidence, but you could just see it on the field. And so I think they came out and did this because they felt it was necessary. You know, they played into the fourth quarter. Now, this game was tied 17-all late, too. The, the Cowboys' offense was incredible the whole game. That had nothing to do with the offense. They just had only had the ball three possessions at that point, and they didn't have Tyron Smith and Tony Pollard, and they didn't have Micah Parsons either, so they were a little shorthanded. Uh, but the, the Cowboys' starting defense gave up 17 pretty quick points, and it looked like a game for a minute and, until, until they took over. Gardner Minshew started for Jalen Hurts, and yes, he did uh... – Lead the team to some scoring drives early, kept them in the mix. I did like that story about Minshew. I don't know if you guys saw this, that after the game against the Jets, he went into the coach's office and was like, Coach, I deserve the ball. I should be the starter of this team. I thought that was adorable. I love this guy. Look at he is a dangerous quarterback. I know that, like, well, I don't know if you're being serious, Dan. But But no, it's an amazing move because, like, It's one thing to be the backup quarterback and do your job, but like Jalen Hurts probably saw that story and he was like, "What? What? It's a strange You're going into the that coach's a, office and saying I deserve one. to be the starter." That's a strange one, but he's got he's got too much charisma. He can't be held down. That's Gardner Minshew. <laughs> I kind of like their backups. They had some feisty the backups. Huntley, Jason Huntley, was fun. Tyree Jackson, who was what he used to be a quarterback, uh, was kind of fun. Quez, Quez Watkins is fun. Uh, they actually, I think, got uh, some use out of this looking at all of these guys. They also had 12 players on the COVID list. I think they strategically told a lot of guys to take that test last Monday so that they could get their COVID list designation out of the way, which is just a bizarre thing that you have to strategize uh, in 2022. Coach, these fellas believe in me. And now I ask you to believe in me. Put me in, coach. I will lead you to the promised land. <laughs> well, it didn't work. <laughs> it depends how he put it because, yeah, I think I think that could be kind of annoying. I've always held it against Drew Bledsoe <laughs> a little bit, um, the the report of how, how hard he kind of uh, went went into the coach's room and tried to get Tom Brady out of there, uh, you know, when, when Brady. Hey, Skip, well. <laughs> Skip, I reckon Jalen might feel a little bit sore about this, but Skip. <laughs> I got to stick to my guns and tell you how I feel, and I'm the best man for this job. 
Give me the ball, coach. Well, I want to. I would like to um, see actual footage of how this went because it's turning into a folly very quickly. That's I'm reading a transcript from uh, mm. Eye in the Sky within Nick Sirianni's office. All right, Blake Darwin um, is back, by the way. That's a nice little tight end duo you got with Schultz playing so well. And your guy Cedric Wilson, Dan, had a monster game. I like they, Cedric. They re- That's on paper, huge. they're the best out. offense. On paper, they're amazing. Do I have a Cedric Wilson connection that I'm un- unaware of? I don't know. One show, you were just like, this guy is, is really <laughs> no, I, looking I good. I am fascinated. I'm always fascinated by the Cowboys. I, I like following America's team through uh, the good times and bad. They're just compelling. They have such a um, wide variance in terms of how this is going to play out. They could meekly go out next week. And this like was a, the worst draw, wasn't it? This was the hardest match I think you so. could have possibly had. Yeah, I, I think, think so. I think they could lose 31 to 17 next week. I think they could drop a 40 burger. That wouldn't stun me either in advance, but, and, and make a deep, deep playoff run. I think it could go either way for America's team. I will tell you this, it's going to do a big number that game. A lot of people are going to want to watch the 49ers and Cowboys. All right, let's uh, move on now. Uh, so yes, Cowboys. And I should say, yes, the Eagles, not you don't want to kill the Eagles, obviously, because they arrested a bunch of people. Not a great way to go into the playoffs. Never beat a team with a winning record uh, the whole season, at least the season ending with the team having a winning record. They now go to Tampa, and we'll see how that goes. But uh, I'm feeling pretty good about who I might pick as my lock next week. I'll just leave it as that. All right, <laughs> let's now move to Detroit, where the Green Bay Packers were looking to win their 14th game, but the Lions, they don't play, man. They don't play. Love works out of the gun. There's the snap. Love back. Love sets and throws over the middle. It is intercepted by the Lions. Intercepted down at the 43-yard line. Lions come up with a pick, and that's going to do it. Tracy Walker with that football. Dan Miller with a call. WXYT. Aaron Rodgers threw two touchdown passes in the first half. Set out the second half with nothing at stake. And the Lions... Getting that interception at the end of the game. Beat the top-seeded Packers 37-30. to That was Jordan Love who threw the pick. He threw two interceptions late in the game. Uh, but Green Bay's playoff positioning doesn't change. Unfortunately, Mark, the Lions, you know, one of those type of games. Great way to end your season. Uh, but if they just would have done what they were supposed to do and get beat by the Packers, whoever the Packers are playing, they would have had the number one overall pick because of what the Jaguars did. Instead, they stay it to Kesara Sara. You know what? I love it for them, though, because I, they, they are playing so hard for Dan Campbell, and they just put everything out there today. I mean, they emptied the trick play compendium. They used all sorts of um, trickery on, on Green Bay, and uh, they, they have gone for it on fourth down 40 times this season, which is the fourth most in the league. <clears throat> Excuse me. They just like uh, – there's Mark something about choked them. up talking about the. No, I just have this hideous three thirteen and one lines. Cough. Uh, yeah. they, they, I mean, it's another game like before where you know Aaron Rodgers is out at halftime and Jordan Love looks, you know, like a non-starter to me. I mean, just does, does not have it at this point. I thought it was important for Green mm. Bay to get David Bakhtiari some snaps. Um, he left and went into the tent, but seemed fine. But I mean, just a little bit of playing time, he'll be huge for them in the playoffs. And was Amon it Ross, related the tent thing? Did they, did they have any? Yeah, he, he did his press availability afterwards and downplayed it. But yeah, it was an injury. Yeah, but he seemed he seemed like uh, unaffected by it later on. Amon Ross St. Brown for the Lions, they have a star. And I just I know that they lose out on the first overall pick, but you can see little pieces here. And again, I think that they have found the right coach. I mean, so it's 
I know the record is what it is, but they go into the offseason with some optimism. Well, well they the broke the record for fourth down conversions. NFL record. Old nice. Dan Campbell. That's good. Throwing caution to the wind. The Jaguars, unless they trade out of the pick, they won't be taking a quarterback, obviously. So um, if the Lions, if things hold, the Lions could have the pick of any quarterback. Uh, we'll get into all that as as things play out. This isn't supposed to be a great quarterback class, but nobody knows anything, especially this time of year. It's not till the draft process plays out that you really get a, a better idea of where the quarterback market's going to be. But it could be one of those... And this affects, like, if you're a Jets fan, too, for instance, with two first-round picks in the top 15. I hope this isn't one of those Eric Fisher, Luke Jokel drafts. Nobody wants that. Uh, no, we'll people see. people like the talent, I think, at the top of this draft. A lot of defensive right. Maybe just not a good skill. quarterback uh, class as, as much. But anyway, so the Packers, I don't, it doesn't change. I don't know if you guys have any takes about the Packers. To me, for instance, they're going to still be number one in the power rankings. This doesn't change anything for me. And the fact that Bakhtiari got back on the field and got some reps as long as the knee's holding up, that's all great, too. Well, Josh yeah. Myers, too, they're starting center. So that's massive. And I think that's why Rodgers you know, said he wanted to play it is worth noting the Lions had the lead, you know, when Rodgers sat. So they had a halftime lead. It doesn't shock me the way the Lions have been playing lately that they would be competitive. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't take too many too big takeaways, but I haven't been overly impressed with the Packers' defense in the back half of the season. I actually think teams kind of built like the Lions with a good offensive line, a good running game, like. They they struggle to get off the field a little bit. This Packers, yeah, they scored three out three on their first four drives. The Lions and they were legit drives. I mean, they just they look much much better than they had at earlier stretches of the season. Is this the most successful three and thirteen year ever? I think so because they're so fun to watch too. And again, it's they they kind of play with this um, daring do where again it's the fourth down attempts. It's this go to check out some of the trick plays they pulled off today. And I mean, I think that they, they're a team that if you look at what they've done over the last month plus, I, I think they're on the right, heading in the right direction. They nice have changes coming rough. too. They're getting rid of Anthony Lynn, their, their offensive coordinator who lost uh, play calling duties about midway through the season. And for what it's worth, Dan Campbell took it over as the head coach and, and they, their offense was a lot better after Dan Campbell took over. Hey, uh, Greggy, you smell that? What's up? That's uh, Mark Sessler predicting the Lions to make the playoffs next year and us hearing about it for two and a half months next summer. <laughs> I, I I think he'll actually predict them. Yeah, he'll predict it in May. We'll go back on it in August, and then he'll <laughs> he'll claim it throughout the course of the season, but then go quiet. Once again, we can't, we can't cover. Mark just got up and walked away uh, right as I started to bring him up. So if I didn't tell the audience that Mark left, it would just make it look like he didn't say anything. Here he comes. He's running back. And he is back. Mark's back, baby. Yeah, Marky. I was just saying Thank that you for you're going to for back. two and a half months uh, next summer, you're going to be talking about the Lions going to the playoffs. That was my prediction. I'm not quite there yet. Um, I, I just, know, but I've, in the summer, yeah. you will be. You will. Oh, yeah. I, I, like, Did you just signings, puke, by the way? When you, you sprinted out of there while you were coughing. That was a coffin sprint. I haven't seen that. The old coughing uh, sprint. Better than a coffin sprint. Right. Man, this Corona got me, but I'm, you know, I was feeling good today until the mm. show started. All right. Hang in there, buddy. Let's take a break. Welcome back. Let's uh, keep moving through the NFC. It is third and two. Cousins from under center. He's looking deep. Now he avoids a bear. Fires to Jefferson. Caught touchdown, J.J. He's J.J. 
with a 45-yard touchdown reception, and it's 17-16 Bears. Yeah, we predicted this one. Paul Allen of the call, KFAN. Uh, nice stat stat padding week 18 finale for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins passed for 172 and three touchdowns in the second half, leading the Vikings to a comeback uh, over the Bears, 31-17. Two teams with a head coach in danger of being canned. We'll see. We will have a podcast uh, that will follow this one in short order, either Monday or Tuesday, uh, addressing everything on Black Monday related. Uh, but as of this taping, both men are still employed. Anyway, Jeff- Justin Jefferson tied the score there. K.J. Osborne caught the go-ahead touchdown for the Vikings, who outscored Chicago 28-3 in the second half. Greg, who has the brighter future, the Bears or the Vikings? Ooh, that's a good one. You, Thank you. You, lean, you lean field, you know, the team that has Justin Fields. But I do, I just, I do like Vikings roster a lot better and just their general – Makeup, even the, like the the way they've brought in talent, their organization. So I guess I'll go Vikings. That's tough. I, this... I'd go Vikings too. I mean, I think also you've you've got a lot to attract a new head coach if they do move on from Mike right. Zimmer. We'll have a lot to talk about. I there there's some ominous reports about Zimmer. There's no need to get too deep into it now because we'll find out. But it it sure looks like both these teams will probably be. Well, did you hear Zimmer snap at a reporter who asked him about his job security? Let's listen in. Yeah. Have you heard anything about your job status, and what are your thoughts just on the rumors? No, I haven't heard anything about my job status. I haven't heard anything about yours either. Do you think there was a chance this could have been your last game as a Vikings coach? Not my choice. Not my decision. Yeah, so he seems like Zimmer is just over it. Last week when they were asked if Kellen Mond was going to get the start, if if he needed to see him, he's like, no, very flatly. One of my favorite like coach <laughs> responses. He's very much like a Parcells-type guy. I, I like Zimmer, and I, and I think uh, – it's going to be a bummer if, if he doesn't stick around, but at the same time, you know, results matter. This was, by the way, truly the DGAF bowl. You have Zimmer, who's like, you know, he doesn't care anymore. And Bears coach Matt Nagy elected to go for it on fourth down six times, failing on all but one of those attempts. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Dalton got sacked three times on fourth down, which you would have to check, but that had to have set an NFL record. I don't know if anyone's ever taken three fourth down sacks in the same game. Yikes. All right, let's um let's quickly wrap up the NFC with the NFC least bowl. Here's from the snap, throws into the slot, picked off Bobby McCain, 2015-10-5, pick six, touchdown, touchdown Washington. Bram Weinstein, WTEM, Bobby McCain returned the first of his two interceptions, 30 yards to the house. Antonio Gibson ran for a career high. Buck 46, scored a touch, capped his first 1,000-yard rushing season, led Washington to a 22-7 victory over the moribund New York Giants. Washington finishes at 7-10, Big Blue a mortifying 4-13. Dave Gettleman's Giants career almost certainly ends with this loss, the general manager, and we'll see what other changes we see with these two NFC East also-rans. Jack Del Rio says he's back, the defensive coordinator. I didn't know that was up to him to decide, but I guess he knows. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Ron Rivera, it's a reminder. It's like, hey, Washington, you could be worse. You could be the Giants. You could be the clown show, to use uh, Joe Judge's words uh, from a week ago, that, that are the New York Giants right now, running uh, a quarterback sneak power 
uh, from their own four yard line on third and nine, just to like give their their uh, punter a little extra room. That That's was a sad. It's a sad moment. There is it is a sad moment, and you know that fan base that's had a lot of highs over the last 30 years or so um, to hear the reaction in the crowd when they see a quarterback sneak called twice in a row at the goal line. The last one, yeah, third, third and nine, not even like a third and 28 or whatever. It's like, you can go get that. Against yeah, like, like a, against like a nine man <laughs> box too. Like every like both teams had everyone just condensed next to the ball. It just it looked like they were on the goal line, but it's like no, you were on the four. Neither team had over a hundred net yards passing in this game. Hmm. That, that is not a frequent occurrence. I, and yet my guy Terry McLaurin got ninety three somehow on his own going over a thousand. You know, my I'm losing a lot of sandwiches on Terry. It was a tough situation. It wasn't his fault. We that will, yeah. We're going to revisit our sandwich props on uh, the our next show. Um, but I do remember you had something very lofty. Don't don't even let me know. I'd rather like be surprised when we take a look at it again. But you were all in on Scary Terry. Um, but he got bogged down by an offense that was just. You know, from the Ryan Fitzpatrick injury on, just they were not able to overcome uh, the setbacks. And, and it's going to be a huge offseason for the Giants. I still, uh, to me, feels like they could clean house. We're going to find out what happens over the next few days and weeks. Uh, but for the time being, uh, there's no denying that the NF- the Giants ended um, the season as probably the worst team in football. Yeah. That- I don't I don't understand how there's there's floating reports that – Joe Judge will be retained. It's like it, it's a combination of bizarre press conferences and a team that is completely, totally regressed and has zero identity. Daniel Jones looked better, I think, after watching what was going on. I mean, just 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 in comparison. I do want to get though, Mark, because um, I know you're going to be watching this on Game Pass later. Just like oh, your yeah. detailed notes of all of your thoughts um, and takeaways for what, how this game changes your offseason. Just look at, at at the Giants' defensive line and linebacker position. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to send you my notes <laughs> post-haste. Yeah, we do count on you, Mark, to handle this film study. We believe <laughs> you, that. You, listen, you showed me how professional you are with the cardboard cutout scenarios. Like, like, you know, do you I think Jalen Smith part. has a future? Uh, you know, He had five tackles in this game. Does he have a future with the Giants? There's only one way to check. That's the tape. Check with me on Tuesday, and I'll I'll let you know everything that I've downloaded mentally about this. <laughs> We're going to carve out a, a section of our next show just to break down this game, the tape study, and and we turn we count on you because we know you're the man for the job. Thank well, it sounds like a terrible that. task. What was that, Mark? Thank you for what saying a... that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the NFC. The table is set for another year of postseason football. We will have you covered, of course, uh, with uh, three shows every week, maybe more, whatever it's called upon, and uh, including uh, Black Monday, or, or as we call it, New Horizons Monday. That's a, that's, some, that's a branding that we came up with that skirted some NFL restrictions about using the term Black Monday. New Horizons Monday is upon us, uh, so we will have a show for you Uh, either Monday or Tuesday, breaking all that down. So keep an eye out for that. Until then, try to get some sleep. Uh, Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, Does anybody else have anything else to add? No, my voice is about to die, so um, let's wrap it. It is, yes. It's almost 2 a.m. on the East Coast right now, so that means we need to end this. um, Till Tuesday. Heed the call. 